0: Hello, everyone! Uh, thanks for, for for joining us. Uh, thanks for for being here. It's uh, a, a Monday um, when we're recording this. Uh, we are here to celebrate the the feast of Saint Pancras, uh, and uh, I'm excited to learn more about the saints that he's associated with, as the the ice saints.
1: I just I love the Saint Pancras. All of a sudden, it was it took us back to like a, a Dickensian. Mm-hmm. Um, which is appropriate for St. Pancras, but St. Pancras, uh, whose feast is May 12th, uh, and we are discussing a few other things in the mix. Uh, this is um, the, the, the demon of the day is Azazel, Azazel, not Zazel, apparently, according to Al. Al! Um, but we'll get into that.
0: Uh, <laughs> this for... session also brought to you by the plant or, or tree, I suppose, Blackthorn, and by the stone garnet. And by the uh, the type of magic we've we've just got as weather, which uh, I've got a little bit on weather prediction, a little bit on weather witching, uh, and then a little bit on kind of bits in between that um, that I was hoping we could have a good chat about. It's a good broad topic to uh, to go through, and I know you've got uh, a number of of workings that you're excited to talk about. Um, bashing things against rocks was one of them, right? Yeah,
1: bashing things against rocks and, and slapping little um, jaguar babies to make him cry so their mama in heaven answers them. The um, tarot part of the day is Wheel of Fortune, which is we're revisiting a card that we neglected in one of our earlier episodes trying to get through all 22 major arcana. Um, so Wheel of Fortune, which lines up, interestingly, with some of the things today. Um, the geomantic figure is Karkar, also known as Carcer for the latinally challenged, um, <laughs> I- i.e. Karcher. Uh, church Latin, and its uh, corresponding Odu configuration, which is odi Meiji or Odi, um, the broader concept there. Uh, yeah. And the dead magician is Enoch, controversial.
0: Yeah.
1: Enoch, uh, which sounds like Tenoch, which is a prickly pear. So uh, welcome to the show. And uh, we're trying to, we're doing this thing of, it's like our first episode where we did one and then two weeks later said, we're going to do another. So uh, once every Can't. three or four years is probably enough for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like tombs as I, in eugene victor uh from from squeeze from the x files how how often does he surface to eat livers is it every 23 years or something 31 years i don't remember my teenage years that well
1: <laughs> but i am i was a i was a, a definite x files fan um so st pancras uh let's start off in a traditional manner of invoking das santas that was a mixture of spanish and Fake Spanish and fake German. Um, the Sanct. The, the Sanctis. Uh, so there's no actual reliable historical information on Pancras, right? He's, he's a Diocletian saint, which much like our beloved Cyprian means that there's a lot of possibility that it's based on someone real, but also a lot of possibility it's based on the, the folklore needs or the, the value centers that are being adapted throughout
0: uh, Christian history. Right. You have to wonder how Diocletian had any time to do literally anything else other than, like, martyr Christians. uh, Yeah, (laughs) but he's the the
1: Aztec sacrificer of of old European
0: Christians, right?
1: So, like, pulling a heart out every 18 seconds on top of the Great Temple. Um, Right, to get through that number of uh, supposed sacrifices. Yeah. But, um, you know, numbers are also qualitative and not quantitative, as every biblical literature course I've ever taken as a Catholic uh, schoolboy has told me mm. but um, so he was born at the end of the third century and brought up by an uncle in Rome um, they became Christians he was beheaded in 304 ish when he was 14 years old so he was a young and he was uh, he's often uh, depicted as a soldier um, in in Roman garb and mm. uh, primarily we have evidence of his importance um, or his cultic practices are of import because uh, the was it the Bishop of Canterbury, the Augustine of Canterbury, uh, dedicated a church in in London, um, or that he gave the relics to the King of Northumberland, which is uh, one of the oldest sites of Christian worship in yeah. in England. Yeah. So he's the name itself, Saint Pancras, is tied into not only. Christian history in London, but also a notable district in London as well. Like it's it's a neighborhood, right? Uh, so even though people might not be familiar with St Pancras, every Londoner is by nature familiar with the
0: the name. Yeah, yeah. I, at least from the, the the railway station and 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 the area um, by extension as well. Yeah. So uh, I, I read that um, he's depicted as a uh, a soldier because he shares that. His martyrdom day, right, which is his, his feast day, the, the 12th of, of May, or what we've decided to uh, call uh, the, the day he's martyred, uh, and thus his, his feast day. There are two other um, uh, saints, Achilles and uh, one beginning with N, I seem to remember, and they're soldiers. And the what I read was that he starts to be depicted as a soldier because he's close to them.
1: Yeah, Nereus and Achilleus. Um,
0: That's
1: it. Yeah. Uh, so you're, now you even have not only, you know, as a subset of, of, the, of the now uh, buzzy Hagergothic blur, but we're talking about occupational blur.
0: <laughs> yeah. In, as yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So we don't know what he was or what he did, but he's depicted as a soldier because his, 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 his fellow martyrs were depicted as soldiers or are right. soldiers. I also find it interesting, right, that he's, it's this trio with, um, with him so he's part of a little trinity of martyrs that are worshipped together or venerated mm-hmm. together, I should say, uh, because past teachers are going to come back and smack me. The difference between veneration and worship is profound, um, but in <laughs> practice, not so much. Uh, right. So, uh, but also that he is part of a trio of saints that are known as the Ice Saints. Um, so that side of his lore is is uh, it's not just a trio that, that it can move around. But Mamertus on the 11th, Pancras on the 12th, and Servatus on the 13th are often referred to as the ice saints. Um, or Pancras, Servatus, and Boniface on the 15th, sometimes with Sophia added in as the ice queen, the ice girl, um, as <laughs> she's. Gone. So they, the idea behind them, which is a, a lovely term for understanding one of the very reasons why we do what we do on this show, which is using the fixed Catholic calendar and sometimes the Eastern Orthodox calendar. As uh, reflective of the solar calendar that we use on a daily basis, which ties us to the seasons. So a Mm -hmm. lot of the the beautiful adaptations that are given to saints uh, are answering the needs of pre-Christian or parallel to Christian uh, practices that are being expressed through the seasonal route. And so this idea of the Ice Saints is because it is tradition that around this time of year, and apparently if you're very orthodox on this time of year, the 11th, 12th, and 13th, that there's a severe dip in the temperature, that a a mini winter comes. Mm -hmm. And certainly we've kind of had a a brush with that, as we discussed uh, recording this episode, that this past weekend, uh, right before St. Pancras' Day, uh, there was a huge, huge storm across the entire eastern seaboard with snow uh, in May, and and although I'm familiar with the weather patterns upstate about how, like everyone says, do not plant things before May first because the ground is not thawed. Right. Uh, it was evident. Here's here's another reason why. Like it is, it was an interesting side of things to see Central Park dusted with snow. This this notion too, I think, is interesting because okay, the ice saints they bring on something that is sometimes referred to as blackthorn winter um and because the the blossoms on the blackthorn are blooming around this time not the berries those are later in the year um sloes yeah yeah the slows. and, and they're uh, white right the the flowers are white yes mm-hmm. um the the slows are are a, a bluish black but also the conflation, mm-hmm. also like blackthorn uh those are sometimes called blackberries in, in plain speech um mm. and there's a lot of lore around blackberry bushes in the fall and towards the frost area remember with with um uh, we've talked about this with with the devil landing at that time on yeah yeah we, and all those things and some of the lore gets blurred onto blackthorn as well back and forth right uh, the blackthorn winter and then in the states you have something called the blackberry winter
0: hmm. which
1: is its own kind of uh, similar thing it's a colloquial expression in the south in the midwest i mean all along appalachia basically um that it's a cold snap that that happens when the blackberries are in bloom um, right. So sometimes called Oddwood Winter, uh, according to other like names that I found, whooperwill Winter, Redbud Winter, Miss bans Winter. But it is the direct equivalent of the English Blackthorn Winter. And I, I also think, even with all this, because we're kind of blurring between the saint and everything forward, we're in this, that the, the idea of the hedgerows themselves turning white mm-hmm. is fantastic, right? Because then we start to understand some of the almost uh, law of similarity that's going on, Doctrine of Signatures type of thing, that when the rose themselves, the, the thorns, become dusted with white flowers, then snow comes. Right. isn't right parallel, which is, of course, one of the reasons it, it would be said, because there's so many plants that bloom around this time of year, but white flowers blossoming around this time suddenly attracts snow because
0: blackthorn is such a common hedgerow plant. And hopefully we can get into that uh, a bit later uh, and its associations. It has those kind of like... Um, the bad guy that keeps worse guys out, kind of thing. Like this, this yeah. combination of yes, protection, but also like an awful lot of quite sinister law uh, and assessment of its actual like agenda.
1: The ice saints are found all over Europe, though it's not just a, a, a specifically Western European phenomenon. In fact, it seems to be a Germanic in origin because it's most prominent in in Germanic countries um, mm. and Central Europe as well. Um, so Poland and the Czech Republic definitely have them, but they they start with Saint Pacras. He ushers in the ice saints, and that's where they add Sophia. Who's the ice woman? So you have yeah. the I- and um, and then the ice woman comes in.
0: And this quality of them being of, of, of him, you know, was saying like not a looseness, but like a uh, a sense that these these saints are fulfilling a definite calendrical function, um, so to speak, or their their veneration is is, is really interesting in light of that point about uh, St. Pancras Old Church being one of the oldest sites of Christian worship. It's it's that because of a, a Roman encampment, right? Yeah. Um and that 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 really interests me. Uh, I was looking into that about how uh Charles Lee, the a, a local historian of the time in the mid uh 1950s um uh pointed out this thing that um that William Stookley in the late 18th century had said, "Look, this looks like a Roman encampment." And everyone else was like, "Sure it does, William, sure it does." Um so this idea of like seeing the thing in the past that no one else does that you require to deep, dig down deeper and find. Uh, and, then, yeah. and then Lee was like, yes, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Roman encampment situated opposite the site of uh, St. Pancras Church about this period of, yeah, around 314. So not that long after he was martyred as well, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, so, he, so he
1: springs up real quick. The relics go to the, the Basilica, I believe. And the, yeah, the Basilica of San Pancrazio. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, uh, in Rome. So it, that the main relics are there, but then relics are already br- had already been brought to, to England. There's already
0: devotion heavily in the fifth century. Yeah. Uh, and it's also not till it's also right at that time as well. No, sorry, I, I do want to hear about the fifth century. It's but it's like it's uh it's thirteen. It's really that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't count. Uh, it's 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 you know it's background context. Um. Uh. It's it's a footnote. Uh. But the the restoration of religious freedom is said to happen in in three thirteen. Right. So the Roman uh, compitum um gets adapted to Christian worship right around then. So there's like there's there's a lot going on very very quickly. Um. Uh, that throws it up, and then, um, uh, and then, and then it just yeah, it, it lasts as this like very old uh, site of, um, of Christian veneration.
1: It's also uh, this feast is interesting because it's it's suffered like many other feasts um, with the revision of the Catholic calendar mm-hmm. to go from a I think it was semi double before because it had so many martyrs on that day, so Nereus, Achilleus, Pancras, and uh, Domitilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pronouncing that probably terribly because I want to pronounce it like in Spanish as people but uh, that that was she was taken off of the calendar really, and uh, they were given a third-class feast relevance uh, after the general Roman calendar of the sixties. Mm-hmm. But he's still believed to have a basis in tradition. Then, if he's still on the calendar in that way, yeah, is I find that uh, it's interesting because I know in England his his in addition to the area because patron local saints. Sometimes people ask about what saint should I go to when I don't know what saint to go to. Like the one that your local Catholic church is dedicated to is a very common answer by people that actually work a lot. Yeah. Uh, in these traditions, it, uh, the the various curanderas that I've studied with will always emphasize the, the need to bond yourself to the local church. Um, and just an understanding, that that's where you would go to Mass, most likely. Yeah. So to to have a devotion to that saint is important but to understand that that Pancras is associated because he's beheaded with headaches and therefore is put in bars and pubs as an image, not only to celebrate local pride in the St. Pancras area, but because he can help with hangovers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's there's a lovely side of it there that, you know, he's a patron of of children and jobs and health, sure, but he's he's definitely invoked against um, menstrual cramps even, but cramps in general, especially those associated with athletes, um, false witnesses, uh, perjury, and headaches, or any any pain in the head, which, you know, yeah. for a beheaded saint makes sense.
0: I've heard, because of the, I, I can only imagine it's it's from the, from his name often being translated as, um, you know, the, the carrier of everything, right? Um, or the container of everything. That he's, um, I've, I've, I've encountered people who kind of treat him as like, um, uh, I don't know how much of an official class this is, like a miracle saint. Like, you can go to them for any, like, thing that you need that's, um, not, not that he doesn't have specific patronages, but that like almost approaching a kind of like a hail mary sort of uh, that's that's not helpful as a, as an analogy, uh, like a last ditch effort almost, or a um, uh, 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 a wild uh, this would be great if this could happen. Um, in terms of like his actual like veneration that he can, he's, he's talked about as like you know not. It, in ways that reminded me of the ways I've heard some people talk about Philomena as well, in terms of that that quality of like, oh, they can they can they can properly like work miracles for you. Very unexpected things can happen. Um and I've also encountered a sort of uh uh way of 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 approaching him that reminded me somewhat and that one one practitioner kind of compared directly to uh, expedite as well Not in terms of Working quickly Or in terms of Giving the pound cake You know once they've Done the thing um, But of that same Kind of like You can go to them And they will pass The word on uh, Kind of thing uh, A messenger saint In that way mm, mm. References there Yes Yes exactly And I think that's, that's, that's Primarily what people are, are going for I've not really Encountered much About um, Why his Statuary is often Holding the book aloft Other than Proclaiming the faith
1: yeah I, I've, I would assume that it might have to do propose that it might have to do with being one of the first churches, mm. um, because the first saint in an area or the first cross in an area, or the first virgin exposed to an area, often has incredibly large uh, attribution of, of miracle to it. Mm. So if he was the first church in the area, then, then he is the one that brought the word to much of London. Right England. Um, but certainly to to die to To be a convert to Christianity, um, and then to die for it under Diocletian is its own thing. Right. But certainly, the you know under like a syncretic lens, the holding the book aloft version of him would be interesting for anybody who's um, holding high the importance of books, whether it's librarians or grimoirists or anything like this. Yeah, I think uh, you know that's the side of it being the first saint in the area reminds me of like the Cruz de Caravaca lore, where that's the first. Official cross brought to Mexico and and some say to the New World and therefore becomes an object of veneration and a symbol of all Christian magic in general, right? And the ability to combat other forms of uh, uh, spiritual warfare, even
0: yeah, uh, so it's that wonderful peeling of layers in um, you know Protestant uh, uh, essentially heresiography like, like against uh, uh, Catholic practice of accusing them of of worshiping the cross as its own um as its own saint or its own like god and being like that's ridiculous and then looking at like what things like that that happen and being like "Ah, okay okay uh it's 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 still hostile but it's not making it up no
1: certainly and and you know the variances between like well it's not idolatry it's like the difference between veneration and worship right that like it's veneration in name but there are a lot of people that are flat out worshiping saints Mm and that's used as a pejorative, even in something like, you know, the, the term Santeria is, is a pejorative. It describes people who are worshipping saints instead of worshipping God. Right. Um, but it, it's, that's its own thing, because it's not saints that's being, that's being interacted with. But the idea of like, it's sure, it's, it's, it's up to a practitioner or a believer to define the, the parameters by which they describe their own tradition. But uh, unfortunately, the, the larger context of things, that's not always who decides what's going on. Right, certainly the wars between Protestant Protestantism and 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 Catholicism are 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 varied and and explore this concept very well. When it's like, you know, at the time of the disagreements between Catholicism and and the newly formed Anglican Church, I mean, there's very little difference in the masses. There's very little difference in anything going on except that it's just allegiance to the Pope or allegiance to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Right, and it, it's merely a political thing until later, and even now, I you know, I remember education-wise Catholic school of being told. Like, actually, the, the Anglican mass preserves a lot of what was there before the Vatican II reforms mm. um, in a different way. And really, it's like, does bread turn into Jesus over three words or one? Right. Minor, minor stuff. Right. Uh, so I think with Pancras, it's interesting too, just that he, I I am attracted to what you're saying of him being a, a wonder worker in this way. He does have a lot of expedite vibes mm. um, in his poses. In instead of holding the cross aloft, it's holding the book aloft. Mm. Um, so Exonite holds the cross up of Fodier, um, and pancreas seems to hold this up. Not as much associated with the pancreas as um, he As is. you'd
0: hope, right? As I'd hoped. Or, like, <laughs> it's, 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 so there. it's so there. But also like the pancreas isn't necessarily like, mm, it's not necessarily as big a deal as other organs, shall we say, for a very long time. Say that to someone who has got a problem with the pancreas. I did, well, that, that's my point. I, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, um, you know, uh, uh, d- deny that there isn't you know uh, a serious it's not a serious problem until it's a serious problem Uh, but like in comparison to the liver or the heart or the brain like these three like seats of the faculties of the soul sometimes right Uh Uh, we don't we don't get that as much
1: but there is something interesting to the uh incredible uh spiral that happens when the pancreas starts to fail or there's something like pancreatic cancer god forbid that, that spreads incredibly fast and the mm. body shuts down so quickly. But uh, I don't know, there's something, I, that was that was always the joke, right? That uh, some chaotic literature that came out um, in the late 90s, early 20s would always refer to that area of London as St. Pancreas. Um, <laughs> and, you. know, that was my, I think, honestly, my first introduction to St. Pancras was refer, someone referring to him as St. Pancreas on purpose. Um, <laughs> in that, that lovely late 90s chaotic way.
0: I love this idea of like, um, uh, like, like the munch bunch of the organs of the body, uh, like in all of those, you know, v- vaguely semi supposedly educational cartoons about the the different organs of the body or the different parts of an organ, all being like characters that work together, like different, like you know, uh, that's that's I I want to I want to see Saint Duodenum. I want to see like <laughs> Saint Stomach, yeah, Saint Lower Intestine. Um, well, it's you know it's the uh, there's I
1: don't know, I'll have to remember uh, which Odu it is, but where it talks about the stomach as one of the most powerful of all spiritual beings because it right two multiple times a day, yeah,
0: yeah, the, the the most offerings. It 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 did sacrifice well in the other world before incarnating in all of us. Right, it set a good example of listening uh, to its diviners and its priests.
1: I think also with with Saint Pancras it's just the, the mention of the church itself has so much lore because it's so old there's so many people associated with it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in our own in group, I posted a picture of the hardy tree, which is pouring uh, yeah. out of all those gravestones that are kind of spinning around it because they needed to move different uh, gravestones. And this was how they chose to arrange them. So it's uh, it's quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the great trees of London. And it, it's certainly recognizable in images when you see it, just to see this grave mound, you know, with, with so many headstones just jammed into it there. Um, I also remember uh, hearing about this and being fascinated with Shelley that they used to that uh, Percy Bryce Shelley and uh, Mary Shelley uh, used to meet in the graveyard there and planned their elopements and had probably um, had lots of premarital sex in the graveyard there itself. Oh yeah, and who else is uh, who else is there? The her, her mom, right? Yeah, that's they were meeting at her mom's grave. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's um, all of those those memes about, like, Mary Shelley is gother than thou forever, and you will never be more gothly Mary Shelley. Oh, like having, having the lovely
1: premarital sex with, an you know, uh, a, a strange addict poet um, mm-hmm. of the grave of your mother. Um, right. You know, she's got John D. Beat a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Hashtag goals, yeah, for yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let her be an inspiration, not a... Uh, uh, not a again, you know. Let not her ach- achievements uh, daunt you for yours. <laughs> uh, uh, do not do not
1: seek the seeker, but seek what they sought. The also the movement of the graves uh, is because of the railway, I believe. Um, so right. the right side that like making room for people to traverse through this world um, upsets the eternal resting place of people in the uh, in the next.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the station is, is is late as well. It's it's commissioned by the Midland Railway, which is why I'm interested uh, partly in it in the 1860s. Um, and they had a network How of routes. Put in that out uh, because because West Midlands Pride. Uh, you know, I've been I've been I've been rewatching Peaky Binders, and you know, uh, oh, you know, looking wistfully at rain, uh, you know, um, hoping to have a, 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 a an old forge, you know, lighting up the night sky, so I can see which way to stumble home after the pub. Uh, but it's it, it's it's pretty late, and it sits there as kind of a monstrosity for a fair while, and it, it links up by um, uh, yeah, by the eighteen the sixties or just before then, I think. Uh, and then it's it's kind of this hulking monstrosity for an awful uh, length of time, and in, into like kind of living memory in the nineteen sixties, where it got uh, it was it was rumored to uh, it was going to get torn down, but in the end they just renovated it, and apparently it's quite nice now. I remember
1: uh, J C Bach was there. Ah, and Bach was is buried there. So he's the otherwise known as the London Bach. And
0: it's the Hardy tree because, ha- because Thomas Hardy was working there, right? Is he also buried there? Uh, he I, can't m-
1: remember. I, I, I know think- that he arranged the tree as to, to those graves in that way. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so I'm not sure if, if you'd think that he'd you know, reserve a small spot for himself in the middle of all that. but I guess if it's already named after him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> might not have been different during his lifetime Made would have been like <laughs> look at this beautiful thing you're like oh yeah that's the hardy tree that's the hardy tree my work here is done and I'm out yeah we, we turned to face him and he was just he was just smoking up in a, in a, in a Thomas Hardy shaped uh, uh, cartoon uh, absence
1: he couldn't have the foresight for us to have planted a blackthorn mm. however um, a blackthorn in a cemetery with lots of greys around it might uh, be a, a cause for uh, eye raising quite strongly.
0: Um, yeah. You want to talk about Blackthorn a bit more? Should we, should we uh, Yeah.
1: I, I think, I mean, Blackthorn has a lot of lore around it in general, just as, as the, it's like the cursed version of the fairy tree as it's kind of been handed down now. So Hawthorne right. kind of retains some of its nobility, but mm-hmm. you have, Hawthorne has, has much smaller spikes, whereas Blackthorn has much longer spikes. Mm. Um, Blackthorn has a reputation for for being such a, a dark fey tree. Um, whether you want to, you know, Associate that solely with the unseelie courts as opposed to the seelie courts. Mm. Um, I don't the the older lore, although it does identify it as a fairy tree. It doesn't seem to differentiate as much between the hawthorn and the blackthorn as being completely like benevolent and cursed the way that many interpretations in the neo pagan uh, world do now. Um, and-
0: right, it's an it's an odd one where we've seen it like uh, where it seems to have a commonality of like the thorn tree. Then it seems to very definitively, you know, manchianly split between the white thorn and the black thorn. You know, the, the black hat and the white hat, uh, and but then also seems to like merge again in 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 a bunch of uh, uh, yeah in a bunch of more contemporary practice that says, well, you know, that doesn't like the idea of there being the good Christian one and the evil pagan one. Yeah. Or at least, you know, wants to, wants to play with what, what how useful that evil pagan tree is. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I
1: mean, and, and like you said, it, it definitely it both protects and it's, it curses. I mean, the, to harvest the thorns is its own act of, of uh, prophylactic magic, right? Because if you're harvesting the thorns, you're taking them away from the, the hedgerow in that way, which part of the reasons it's planted in that way or, or cultivated is because of its ability to be a guardian between this world and the other. And okay. hedgerows themselves, I mean, past their lore of being fairy lores, fairy trees in so much and of themselves by their nature. Um, but the fact that they're used for hedges, they are the natural boundary between things because animals don't like to go through the thick patches of them. Right. Hawthorne is fine in hedges, but there are the, which is a huge, huge species spread. Hawthorne can grow into very tall trees as well as stay more shrubberies. But, uh, uh, I didn't put the right uh, emphasis on shrubbery the way I wanted <laughs> uh, this. Me. Uh, I think there's something to, uh, just exploring the 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 hedge crossing aspect of that and what that means. In, and, and and the practice and the cultivation of hedgerows as a natural boundary um, is right. something that takes time. You have to plant it and it needs to be cultivated. It's yeah. not something, it replaces uh, a simple fence. It replaces, replaces a simple wire uh, fence or planked fence um and grows over it and uh, becomes uh, incredibly impenetrable. So the the yeah. note of passing through the thorn bush, um, whether it's hawthorn or blackthorn, uh, is are quite different things. And certainly the fruits themselves. I mean, we, end up, we I guess in order to talk about blackthorn, you end up having to talk about hawthorn a little bit. But you know, to have these beautiful little red fruits that look like ho- rose hips. Mm. Rose hips? That's not what I wanted to say. Uh. <laughs> But uh, the, the little kind of uh, bluish black uh, slows that come, mm. uh, Why is it not a slow thorn? Interesting,
0: because I call it a hawthorn that makes haws, but we don't call it a slow it, It's also called a slow it's, uh, The tree is also called a slow sometimes after its fruit. Um, yeah. Along with like slow plum, which obviously, you know, it's, it, the, those, they're in the plum and the damson family. Yes. And, they're,
1: and the, the, the terms for that are found in many languages as well, like the, the different Iberian permutations of, of Blackthorn and what it is. I think um, Blackthorn does have a reputation for being uh, more aggressive than Hawthorne, and I think it has to do with its length of thorns um, mm. and the quality of the tree there. Certainly, thorn magic is is a big thing. Um, it was uh, a great presentation by by uh, Julia of Aculta last year at, at BGS on that, uh, which is tied into Perennian lore hugely of just uh, the comparison of thorns to needles and how that magic works, which everything from blood pricking to cursing to to um, right.
0: I read that the devil and, chooses his victims or disciples by pricking them with a with a blackthorn thorn, thorn. Yes. And, and, that, and the bl- the bl- the blood from that seals the deal. And thought of thaw of you,
1: <laughs> yeah. And that even if you were going to to curse someone, you know, to give the blackthorn uh, some of your own blood is very easy. Um, and to break the thorn and carry that thorn. While um, there are there's some lore, for instance, of can break into this lovely heretical christian side of receiving communion with a black thorn thorn in your mouth mm-hmm. uh, and then stating your wish for the person um and then taking that thorn and putting it in the uh o- over the frame of their door uh, mm-hmm. which is it's it becomes elf shot but it's yeah it's yeah along with the fingers or with imagery in this way it becomes a token of the work itself so thorn magic in this way becomes a very a prominent way to deliver the attack and whether it's for blessing or bane, um, they, yeah. they, you know, even if you are, uh, I think now we associate it's larger talking points that you and I have had, but like, you know, to, to, to wish health on someone is to wish death to the disease. Yeah. To their war on the disease. Yeah. So like, you know, you can attack somebody for health in the sense that you can attack their disease. And the traditions of like, of, of um, blighting a blight or a, or a, or a disease. Even bloodletting itself. Yeah. Which, which has, an, you know, playing on humoral escape we can let the heat out by causing heat. Uh, yeah,
0: well, let all all of those uh, corrupted uh, uh, humors, because they're they're base and they're crude. They're going to get heavier and they're going to get blacker, and they're going to naturally fall to the to the to the bottom of the body, as opposed to the subtle and uh, aerosolized, we might say, like the 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 the, the humors made vapor, uh, and not necessarily through boiling in the blood, but through um, proper application of of, uh, of of radical moisture and, and attention so the the good stuff not exclusively this the stuff around phlegm um uh, uh kind of collecting in the head uh, as well when we get head colds obviously but this this idea that when you let blood you're not just voiding the sanguine humors you're you're voiding all the humors that are contained in the blood which is all of them including uh, but the, the the notion is that they're the, they're the corrupt ones um yeah no, that, that, I find that really find that really, really interesting. I was um, uh, looking at how they're used for cursing poppets, obviously, you know, jamming these these very powerful thorns, but then also looking at how apparently they were used as awls by leather workers as well. So we have another kind of piercing, another kind of skin. Yeah, um, And,
1: and the that re- notion of, of taking the thorns off and the wood itself, I mean, when, when you come to the shillelagh practice, of like mm. extremely strong wood is used there. Um, or even uh, blasting rods in general, which are often blackthorn.
0: Right, right, so, right. I just love that notion of like um, you pierce uh, the 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 leather in order to be able to attach it to something else, uh, and that that notion of like piercing in order to like the the, the there's a there was a kind of coagula thing there. There's a kind of like uh, violence to produce a means by which something can be bound to something that someone can be united with something else uh,
1: yeah in a lot of domestic uh magical paradigms right so the needle or the awl are the the violence like compared to the nails of christ that allows sympathy or love to flow similar so yeah. you're putting you're piercing something so that the thread can be pulled through it or that something else can become of use from it yeah uh, there's these lovely um many many meditations in, in the domestic arts of this type of thing of like to pierce something to cause pain or violence or to separate something from part of it in order to benefit it later is part of the Christian ethos, right? It's to suffer for the mm-hmm. greater good. Um, right. And, you know, calling upon the leather strap to do this is an interesting side of it. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly the notion of pruning comes in and there's we, we can talk about that as a totally other thing, but um, the idea that you're, you're cutting back a tree in order to make it survive so that insects don't don't uh, devour it the same right. time. We call upon winter and pruning in order to make sure things go forward, which, mm. um, you know, in, in Spain, especially in the Pyrenees and Basque Country, you have the, the cult of St. Agatha as being prominent for this because she pruned her breasts. And now it's, mm. there's a, a nurturing aspect from a saint who has no breasts. But uh, the, the, the notion of pain for good, I mm. think, comes in here very strongly.
0: That makes sense. I was, I was pondering on the, um, this impenetrability of their, of their hedge as well, and the notion of like boundaries and the and what's there, um, they're they're regarded as one of the eight uh, in in the Ogham tract stuff, which is obviously like occasionally historically contentious. But the notion of it being uh, strafe or strife or however that's said uh, is not only said to be linked to the word strife, but also um, sometimes glossed as the increaser of secrets. Uh, and this notion that it it isn't just um, creating an impenetrable hedge, which it does in in a lot of Irish um tales right of, of taking a twig of blackthorn and throwing it behind you and it would instantly root and form this like you know this thorny doom that would arise uh from the from from the depths it's uh,
1: very good druid magic there right I, you know, it's 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 helpful with om to historically like the important thing the side of it is that om is a list of correspondences that begin with the letter or prom- feature the letter in some prominent way so there's there's as much evidence for the ohm word lists or herb lists or things yeah. like that. It's just the trees have become the prominent form yeah. and are and are felt to be the, the the dominant form, the like quote unquote original. But there's it's it's what's been emphasized especially by people like Graves in the White Goddess that that increases its popularity through through neo-pagan market and you know, the the creation of the calendar according to it, that was Graves' invention, which he says was a poetic musing but gets taken as fact by the eighties. But it's still freaking beautiful. Um, mm. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, historical veracity uh, to, to, to be the reason that you allow yourself to use something for a divination means uh, doesn't make any sense when we know that there's people that have created things in the past. Just because someone else made it up 400 years before you does not mean that what you're making up is any less valid. It just means that there's more trial and error on it.
0: Uh-huh. Um, right, right. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not good because it's inherently old. It doesn't make it inherently good just because it's old, but something that's older has probably been more road tested, if it has indeed been road tested, and we can tell it has because it keeps cropping up in, you know, trad folk tales uh, and and uh, and songs. The the rocky road to Dublin has the whole line about cutting a uh, a switch of blackthorn to banish goblins and and ghosts. And I think we see that with the um with the with the instruments that are, are used from blackthorn, right? So you mentioned the both the shillelagh and the um. Uh, and the blasting rod, that I wanted to ask you more about, but also Black Rod, right? Yeah, if you're familiar with the, you know, the, the usher of the House of Lords, like the ceremonial duties uh, for opening of of the House of Parliament, is the the figure, the, the 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 one who holds the office of the usher of the House of Lords in the Order of the Garter is called Black Rod because they 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 because they hold this uh, this blackthorn kind of mace thing, and they have to. They're, they're sent from the, from the Lord's Chamber to the Commons Chamber to summon MPs to hear the Queen's speech. But traditionally, the door of the Commons is slammed in Blackrod's face uh, to, to symbolize the, the Commons' independence. And then they have to bang on it three times, and then it gets opened and they all follow them to, hear the, uh, to the Lords to hear the Queen's speech. This is like one of the, the, um, the most recognizable kind of like ritual ceremonial elements of the, of, of the British Parliament. Uh, that's kind of left. There are other administrative duties that uh, the Black Rod does as well. But um, discovering that that itself was uh, was also uh, a black thorn, uh, was and 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 its connections to keeping goblins uh, in check <laughs> was um, was uh, was amusing for me. Again, we talked about like uh, the use of thorns and the way that thorns are put on them, and the distinguishing between, say, you know, the thing that gets called a blasting rod in, say, the Grand Grimoire, where you're meant to melt down the knife that you use to kill the uh, the goat and 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 make a prong. So you're almost creating a kind of stang a male stang at the at the end of your uh, at the end of your rod, um, whatever it is.
1: We have often- seriously not talked about much, but that's that's a roasting spit tool, right? Right. Like we yeah. think, forget about that, that. That's a common tool in everybody's fireplace. The, yep. the, this notion of, of which is going up the and down and all these things, but roasting the goat itself, you know, the horn thing that's there that's holding the spit that turns. It's not just the Hades thing
0: um, of being the second of sons to choose the parts of Earth. I have a a toasting fork for toasting for a particular uh, spirit I work with. So how how unified would you say uh, Blasting Rod law is across Europe? I think a lot of things in,
1: uh, if we're talking in the traditional witchcraft world, Mm. a lot of things are still based upon British documentation of mm. not only British traditions, but everybody else's traditions um, mm. as filtered through a British lens. Certainly, there's uh, a beautiful exemplar of a blasting rod in Cornwall in the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic.
0: Oh, It's beautiful, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's three blackthorn rods kind of twisted around each other. Mm. I, I hesitate to say braided because I, a braid is a very specific style of knot, but there is... But they're, they're a little helix-y. Yeah, they're going through each other in that way, and I believe it's tied with a ribbon, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's a red uh, ribbon, yeah. So That looks, looks worked. Um, yeah, so there's, uh, which, you know, who knows? Like, Cecil was his own beast, right? Like, genius, yeah. definitely an actual worker, but also a little bit on the, like, well, if I used it once, then it's been used by a witch. Right, um, right. He, it's for a client. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's working, it's for a client that is clearly me as the client. <laughs> um, um, so, but, you know. Instagram witchery has definitely changed the way we do everything, mm-hmm. um, but there is something to it. Like so, the, the the lore around it seems to be right that they you're trying to get these 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 sticks and, and put, grade braid them together in this way. Um, curiously, you know, the thing with that is that blackthorn the, the thorns fall off; they don't really stay. Like they're not the, you get more the nubbins of yeah. Them. And certainly, like if you're whipping, like it's definitely um, thorn trees that are used to whip toads in in the lore. Should you gone through Delacra? But I don't know, it it seems to be used to conjure spirits, spirit work in general, hexing, binding, um, exorcisms, shielding, you know, the whole concept of expelling and pellery. I think there's definitely documentation by different groups as to what they think it's for. It seems to be one of those wonderful things because of the exemplar from the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic. That it like everyone wants to have it in their tradition because it's something there. Like if you have the tools, you must be the thing. But it is a beautiful piece. The other side of it that I think that it brings to mind is the use. Um, you see this in the Pyrenees. You see it in the Alps. You see it in the Balkans. Of of coaxing trees while they're living. Mm-hmm. So to braid three blackthorn branches to me together while they're living and bind them with the ribbons of of what you're trying to get to them. There's something interesting there that you're you're harnessing the force while it's alive. Or carving trees while they're alive so that they heal, uh, much like when you carve the mandrake and put it back in the ground, that it, it heals over and it looks more like a natural, ex, you know, uh, form of
0: a mannequin. And it's also a work over time. It's not just yeah. a one time like, oh, that's that's a nice looking uh, tree I've come across. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab some of it.
1: Even the even the nature of bending wood itself is an interesting side, right? Where you have to soak it for a while, and what waters you soak something in. Mm-hmm what properties got saturated into that wood as part of its consecration. So if you were to take blackthorn or any substitute for blackthorn and I know that this is a big debate because blackthorn doesn't always grow in the United States with with, with ease and alacrity. Yeah. Uh, it it can and there are cognates. Um certainly there's a few prunuses out there that are like have major like frat boy attitude of versions of the blackthorn. Um, <laughs> a little bit more unkempt in my in my um, experience with it. Um, but, um many members of the of the the larger plum family have these spikes like that, and we can mm-hmm. even spike lemons and limes and things like that that do exist, pairing up from our our previous discussions but yeah, I think there's something in the the amount of time that takes that 's needed to to craft something like this, not just from it because you 're keeping it crude and rude right you 're keeping the the knob the nobbins on the stick yeah um, as part of its exemplar as part of its um, power that is inherent that, like it 's a spiky wand and that's it's scary by its nature if you rub that against someone's skin it's going to hurt different yeah uh, it's not just an impact now it's cutting yeah so you've it 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 wields like a blade but it's definitely felt to be useful for unruly spirits and just to represent authority so i think you know whether or not cecil i don't know the history of whether or not cecil got that term from grand grimoire and then use applied it to that or to mm. that certainly to blast someone is not owned by the grand grimoires you know no no absolutely not but it's also interesting that like
0: blackthorn is often painted black, like a shillelagh so like is painted, or, or it's the or it's the soot and butter of it uh, being shoved up a, a chimney to cure. A but paint. also painted, yeah. It's
1: still a paint. This is still a pigment that is applied in some way, whether mm-hmm. in a soot or uh, or um, black spray paint. But mm-hmm. it, it's in essence making the because you,
0: you want to, you want the wood to dry. So when it, it has to dry in place to gain strength. Which often it's placed in salt water to do that, uh, because the, the salt water will draw out things without warping it.
1: Yes. And then, of course, if you hang it in a smoker or mm-hmm. the chimney, then, or near that, it takes on the black flavor of that, which we, you know, we've talked about. Right. You know, the, the prominence of soot being a, a, a very important marker. Of yeah. Which I think speaks also to the alchemical side of heat being necessary for craft you know fire and candle or the transformation of something through heat like an alchemy
0: it's also interesting that it's placed in the it's almost like um on the job training Uh, it's placed in the chimney a a spot of protection right uh so it's also kind of learning its job by being consecrated there
1: well that's that brings up even uh, the the tandem that we have talked about uh before of like i think the the western uh lore Makes us very susceptible to wanting to know what the consecration for something is, mm-hmm. and there are evidences for that in in, in Christian ritual, and, and of course, where you know you're making holy water holy by declaring it holy. But in essence, it's not like it has to be done much before the work itself. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can you can baptize any pool of water, or you know, name it as holy and then dunk a baby in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially even in Catholicism, where you can have bush bush baptisms as they're called. Mm-hmm. But the notion that consecration through use shows what it is and you see this i think interestingly reflected in the wiccan initiations mm. you can see that where you're introduced to a tool and immediately told to use it to do the thing that it's intended to do mm-hmm. or pantomime that thing which mm-hmm. is an interesting side of it too to show someone how it fits the hand and how it fits the space and the ritual yeah uh, there are elements of that in masonry as well um but i'll be less uh more organized if i if i leave masonry to be its own
0: thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, i didn't realize it was um the Berries, uh, the juice of the berries is, uh, is a famous ink, according to he says It's um, famous marking ink to write upon linen, being so strong an acid that no other acid known will discharge it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the one that discharges. It is not discharged.
1: Yes. It, in fact, the the pricking of the finger to draw the blood to then use the as the quill itself, you know, you can split the thorn. Yeah. It's the quill that then the juice from the berries mixed with the blood seals the deal mm. um, in that way. Um, there's also the, the, you know, there's, I will, we'll deal with Hawthorne another time, but there's so much lore around thorns all over the mountainous regions, especially. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's a fantastic plant. Um, I would be, be remiss to not mention how much I love Bacharan, which is, uh, a, a Basque liqueur. Um, it's basically the equivalent of slow gin, which is very British. Mm. Um, but Bacharan is, um, more of an anisette that's flavored with slow. Um, mm. and coffee and vanilla and cinnamon. So, um, you know, you don't make it until later in the year because you have to have the slows be, be harvested. But mm. you soak slow fruit in... A lot of people do it in straight up vodka or um, rum. I've done it with tequila. It, it can work. Mm. But uh, traditionally, it would be a, a neutral spirit that um, a few pods of star anise and a few coffee beans and cinnamon um, and blackthorn fill it up with slows for anywhere from a couple weeks, like three or four weeks up till, you know, a winter. And mm-hmm. you have this incredibly warming, um, dark, reddish-brown liqueur that is very popular. It's especially associated with the province of Navarra. Um, and, uh, and the name itself is implying either liquor from slows, um, uh pachar, which is liquor, and aran, which is slow, or baso um, aran, which is the wild slow, um, mm-hmm. the wild plum, mm-hmm. uh, basically. But it's some good stuff. Fell in love with it when I was in Spain um, oh, all those years ago uh, <laughs> and have made my own versions of it when I can get my hands on good slows. My mom
0: makes a crack in slow gin. Well, then she should send us some slows in some gin. She should. She should. Uh, get on it, mom.
1: Hello, Anne. <laughs> um, but uh, I have no idea if your mother listens to this podcast. <laughs> okay, so in the nature of things that harm and... And heal that was my segue into watcherness and the the kind of the the dual nature of blackthorn which that which can of make the curse be stopped and the thing that is the curse itself yeah um the relationship of the scapegoat to Mm. azazel which is the, the the biblical origin that we're talking about as far as azazel yeah um goes of the you know it the supposition that it is a demon that it is being sent to that that there's during the the high holy days that a goat was offered to god to to um be the the offering but there was also a goat that the sins were put on and that was driven up the backside into the desert for azazel or azazel or however we're going to pronounce it right
0: Uh, yeah yeah which is also translated as um it's translated as for azazel but it's also translated as for absolute removal Yes, uh, separation and, being the, the thing. Uh, yeah, the and forward. and the wilderness uh, sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. The the King James version I checked of sixteen eleven, the uh, Viticus sixteen ten. Uh, for those playing along at home, has um, to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness, um, and that's 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 what it says about uh, that. But the the appearance is somewhat ambiguous. I um uh in um in Drazin and Wagner's uh, Onkelos on the Torah. Uh, where they're talking about uh, uh, Yikra, Um, they say that uh, it may be the name of the place to which the scapegoat was dispatched. Right, So it it might be, yes, it might just mean some random wilderness. It might mean a particular wilderness. It might mean that that wilderness is specifically called Azazel as well. But they also point out that it could be a contraction of Hebrew words that mean the goat that is sent away. Um, or, <laughs> if we, in case we're running out of options here of the things it might be, uh, they also say that it might be two angels, Uza and Uzazel, uh, to whom the goat is sent as a bribe uh, to stop them. It says, from beguiling the Israelites at this time of possible atonement. In ancient legend, these angels enticed humans into the illicit sex acts that are hinted at in Genesis six one. This is classic, like, Enochic watcher material. But it's also possible that the second goat was sent to the demonic ruler of the wilderness, Samael, as a bribe. Uh, and this is based on this notion that Samael would appear before God on Yom Kippur to act as a, a prosecutor uh against you, listing all of your sins. Um, which is which we find in, in, in a bunch of different ways. Uh, it's also something that's sometimes linked to Enoch as well when we when we get to that, and not just through um the book of Enoch or the three books of Enoch, depending on how we're doing this. Uh but it, it, it's it's a little ambiguous at this point. Uh one. Ambiguous because yeah.
1: it leads to a, a huge polyvalent Orgy, uh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah. my ne- my next uh my next plotting of where this where this crops up next is actually the the Enochic stuff. Um, but I don't know if there's like a middle point before then. Like, are there are there older traditions pre uh books of Enoch pre Enoch Enochic? I keep meaning to try and not say Enochian. Uh, of like, of of, of have you encountered like uh, early Jewish witchcraft that starts to to deal with this at all? Uh,
1: no. I mean, it, it, because it's it's it would be different if we went into like Ethiopic traditions. Right, like that was, but like, I mean, it, it's worth mentioning the context of the Shedim uh, themselves, like the, the 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 hairy ones of the desert mm. that are associated with the screech owl lady. Um, but that you know, Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam. However, I my my pronunciation that is probably good. Um, Jeroboam was was uh anointed priests for the Sharim, like in the Old Testament. Like hmm. uh, and there were further, I think it's um, one of the Josies, Josiah, destroyed their their temples. Um, hmm. so there were they were there were people that were interacting with the hairy ones of the wilderness, the which are translated sometimes as fawn or satyr or whatever these things are and they, you know, different cultures express these things differently. Hmm. But there are these goat like things out in the wilderness and the Sharim are associated with this lusty um, fornication and animalistic nature they might actually be spirits, they might be fallen angels, they might be, I mean, like, if we're going through a universalist thing and trying to make sure everything aligns to Judeo-Christian mythos as right. seems to be the purview of, of a lot of occultism, uh, whether they want to or not, or acknowledge that or not, um, we can blow it apart and say we, we don't know because there's also, um, yeah, Oz is goat, but Azaz and, uh, can mean the strong one, and mm. uh, Aziz, which is uh, a light god, which is I always, uh, is a Canaanite god of the the burning, the sun that burns. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always love that because of the fifth element and Aziz Light makes makes me laugh every time. Um, and then there's people that believe that this is tied to Set, and a lot of the the Temple of Set uh, literature on this or the the research on this like loves to link everything back to Set. But Set itself is a concept that that's a the that's a whole other topic. Yeah, uh, but is not necessarily a, you know the opposer from the beginning. It just means it's it's a foreign god, um, yeah. and things change, dynasties change, especially when you have a 5,000 year empire that's right. dead. I have not seen anything, I mean, as far as the Enochian, if we just take that, release it from its, from its, from <laughs> the Enochiana that's out there, right. uh, the, the Ethiopic uh, traditions uh, far precede the the European introduction, or reintroduction of these texts. Yeah. Uh, but there does seem to be trace of them um, far earlier than people actually thought. And certainly, traditional witchcraft side, um, what is, and, uh, you know, for those um, at home playing along, I don't mean that. To validate all traditional witchcraft claims that they are ancient traditions that are handed down from the watchers themselves. But when we talk about traditional witchcraft, which is a set of witchcrafts that are um, that consider themselves parallel to or predating Wicca and are not part of that specific modality, some of them have various forms of adopting Wiccan, um, larger Wicca and neo-paganism uh, cosmologies and ideas about things, particularly the Wheel of the Year and things like this. But uh, there are it also leaves open the possibility. And the reason that I am uh, fond of the term church from which cats describe things is it takes things away from a specifically Anglo-centric lens that, that, that Wicca has, and this is not to bash Wicca, this is to acknowledge the historical reality of Wicca and the, and the side of it that in saying that it was a, a Murrayist inheritance um, also then says that all things must be like it in order to right. it. And that is the, the, the flaw of universalism in general. And perennial philosophy is both a wonderful thing and a colonizing force. That right. aside, that's a whole nother yeah. So, one of the primary things that was especially espoused by um, Paul Hewson, right, in Mastering Witchcraft, witchcraft. yes, I just... <laughs> That's yeah. very Moira Rose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> witchcraft. About witchcraft is that, <laughs> um, but the idea that, that witches trace their descent from various watchers um, and playing on the, the, the Genesis lore of the, the sons of God, the Nephilim and the watchers that had, that the watcher angels that are heavily detailed in the book of Enoch. Right. Uh, which is an apocryphal book, which there is Ethiopic version and other versions that come later. Dead um, Sea Scroll as well? Mm, yeah, the, the Qumran, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of possibility of what those things are, but Azazel then shifts from just this name of something that is biblically already existent mm. to part of a larger and given much more prominence, prominence along with the other strong one of God Shem Yaza. Yeah. Uh, as this and these things are conflated, as like we don't know who we're talking about when we're talking about Azazel and we're talking about Azael and we're talking about Shemyaza and we're talking about Samael, and then we're all these things mean that there are some there's some form of powerful spirit that is no longer necessarily on the side of God.
0: Yeah. However, they did teach humans things, and this is the lore of the Watchers there. Right. So, right. And this is the uh, this is the other confusing aspect because on the one hand we have definitive things that Azazel is meant to have taught humanity. Uh, uh, making of weapons, or, or sometimes translated as armor specifically, and cosmetics. Uh, interestingly, Not a form of armor. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Get your war paint on. Yeah. Uh, but but also like the, the 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 first book of Enoch also says the the whole earth has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel to him ascribe all sin so w- he's also kind of getting a promotion, so he's on the one <laughs> hand he's specifically identified as a fallen angel that teaches particular things, but then also is kind of the t- the 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 again the scapegoat right but yeah. also the the head the the originator of evil and again this this point about finding the first is not just about where did it start but it's also about uh who promulgates it therefore and and the first is 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 almost of anything is 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 often um appealed to as a teacher of that thing which um uh, our friend Erin, uh, in 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 some communication recently, she's she's been looking for the first baker. Uh, so if anyone has come across myths of a first baker, um, let us know. Uh, but you know, she pointed out that you, working with firsts in this kind of ancestral way is great because yes, they're the expert, they're the one that's been doing it longest, but they're also the first rookie to do it. Yeah. They're they're the first noob to do it, and I love the way uh, she phrased that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's certainly. The, the
1: notion that the divine blood is is seduced somehow by by humans, um, mm. which also we have to get Porterfield to come back and weigh in on the the free will of angels in this. Oh, absolutely, because to be seduced by something would have to be part of God's plan from a Judeo Christian, from a, specifically from a Judaic mindset, mm. um, and therefore there must be an explanation for this. So, um, uh, Porterfield, get ready. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, Azazel being the one who teaches swords and knives, shields, breastplates, um, bracelets, uh, the uh, shadowing of the eye with antimony, mm-hmm. uh, ornamentation, all of these things that, that make that of uh, all kinds of precious stones. So the, uh, the art of using magical stones, both in beautification and for their magical virtue, which at that time would be one in the same much. Of right. It, we can't talk. It's not like astronomy suddenly happened uh, at some point right astronomy is really just the name given for the demystified version of astrology that was still used after the industrial scientific revolution right and so you know there's no separating astronomy from astrology previous to that date they were one and the same right um, so it's uh, all coloring tinctures so all pigment and alchemy itself is azazel yeah so anybody that's interested i mean that's a huge swap that is a major thing this 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 angel was a teacher right a huge way I think there's also the, um, what is it? The Apocalypse of Abraham references. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, he's, uh, and the unclean bird spoke to me and said, what are you doing, Abraham, on the holy heights where no one eats or drinks, nor is there food upon them for men? Um, but all these will be consumed by fire and ascend to the height. They will destroy you. And it came to pass when I saw the bird speaking, I said to the angel, what is this, my lord? He said, this is disgrace. This is Azazel. Mm. Um, he said to them, shame on you, Az- Azazel, Azazel. For Abraham's portion is in heaven and yours is on earth. For you have selected here and become enamored of the dwelling place of your blemish. Therefore, eternal ruler, the mighty one has given you a dwelling place on earth. Through you, all the, uh, the all evil spirit is a liar. And through you are wrath and trials of generations of men who live impiously. <sighs> so it's also this thing of like, ah, you made your bed, go lie in it. Yeah. yeah. You want to forsake heaven and fall to the earth, Nick Cage, in... in um, that's a, a wonderful remake of a, of, a, of an even better movie. I know a lot of people don't like the remake, but I'm It's it's as being a remake, right? But like, anyway. So if you choose to fall for mortal women, then that is, that is what you must do is you now become mortal. You fall. You can't go back up. Yeah. Um, which is is an interesting side of that. Of like, you know, the, the there's some agency that is also returned in this and a sympathy that is different for angels that fall in this manner mm. as opposed to you know, there is, of course, this kind of rebellion that is that is considered juvenile of like sticking your tongue out of God and being like, screw you, I don't want to go back anyway. But right. the Watcher lore seems to um, give us more uh, background to even what later gets put onto Lucifer and Satan in this way. Yeah. That, you know, far from being God's advocate and being the lawyer that determines, although Azazel, as you said, can be, it's funny, I'm, taking, I'm using the British pronunciation because I'm talking to a Brit, um, <laughs> how adaptive we are. Uh, mm. But that there's also this idea that perhaps even in choice making here, that it wasn't just a punishment to be cast out, but they may have well known, you know, if we're uh, again, I'm not taking it from a strictly Judaic perspective, but obviously applying a Western lens on it, mm. that there was an agency, there was a choice to forsake heaven for something. Right. Uh, it's not just a punishment. It's a. It's it. You know, you. It's a consequence of their actions, but punishment here would 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 add a a a judgment to it that is not necessarily part of it.
0: Right. So I don't really uh I, I'm 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 not super familiar with what happens with the Zazo until uh they start turning up in fifteenth uh century uh manuscripts of ritual magic and and records of early kind of folk grammaric operations as much as uh or, or more than I would argue than formal ritual uh, magic, if we can make a distinction between those things. And 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 onto what um, Dan Harms has called the Keeper of the Bones rights, but I so I'm, I'm I'm I you know had to look at a lot of that because uh, he's a big deal in the excellent book of the art of magic, uh, and so finding context for why uh, Azazel is called the ruler of the dead, the Keeper of the dry bones, and the the first and and or the the highest authority. Um, or the lowest hellish authority, um, the 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 <laughs> uh, the malarchy of, um, uh, uh, of of the excellent book, uh, and so trying to contextualise why um, this figure turns up in a in a sixteenth century nigromantic grimoire and scrying record, um, and there, are, there uh, yeah, so there, there are a bunch of other examples of that, but I don't, uh, I'm still pushing back to to try and find more instances turning up in uh, medieval. Uh, art and, uh, and magic.
1: Certainly there's depictions and uh, illuminated manuscript depictions of the scapegoat itself, but also Azazel is specifically used as a synonym for hell in in some areas. Like even, yeah. yes, using the um, Apocalypse of Abraham, but like, that the wicked will pure, putrefy in the belly of the crafty worm Azazel and be burned by the fire of Azazel's tongue.
0: Mm,
1: right. Uh, there was a lot of consonants that I just combined into one there. Um, <laughs> uh, he's got my tongue. Uh, but, so he's a hell mouse He's a Hellmouth. Yeah. And so but I think this is also because of the prominence of the demons there. Because by the time you get to Deplancy, there's already that kind of conflation there, right? Mm. That he becomes uh so broad in his scope. And that's early mid eighteen hundreds, right? Mm. Eighteen is it eighteen fifties, eighteen sixties, de Deplancy, de Plancy, uh, I thought it was like end of the eighteenth century, but I could be wrong there. I don't know why I thought it was a like civil war. Okay. Uh my my civil war, not yours. Um uh, <laughs> Very big difference, but I also remember that, like, that's used as evidence by some people as to hold a feast of Azazel on September 10th because the, the day of atonement is given a fixed date in De Plancy.
0: Uh,
1: uh, I remember correctly. So, 1818,
0: uh, Dictionnaire Infernal comes out. Okay, well, it's pro- definitely pre Civil War. Um, we, we split the difference, we were, we were right, uh, between us together. We are stronger,
1: we are. <laughs> so yeah, I. I I don't know what, where does, where does this notion come in, and how soon dare I open this can of worms that are that is the great worm Azazo? Uh, <laughs> how soon is there a differentiation between Zazel, Zazo and Azazel? The worm, the spice, is there a
0: relationship?: Yeah. Um... <laughs> how very dare you?: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting that he starts being equated with uh, the kind of mouth of hell itself. And like you say, like you get so broadened that it becomes a byword for the devil and also for the place the devil lives. Uh, that's fascinating. And I wonder if that's what's going on with um, these rites that we have records for from the 15th century, but mostly seem to emerge from the 16th and then a bunch more in the 17th uh, around uh, going to a grave and appealing to Azazel as the lord of the dead and the keeper of that dead person's bones um, to send them to you in order to either provide you with information from Azazel. So either you, you ask Azazel to um, send forth a ghost to deliver the answer to the question that you put to Azazel, or uh, as an intermediary for further ongoing relationships with this, uh, this keeper of the bones and, uh, and this lord of hell. Uh, as well as a, a lord of of the dead, so we get so the idea of them coming up from the earth in some sense uh, and, and and having this explicitly moving from a general sense of doing evil to specifically uh, being the the authority by which you can command the dead is is interesting to me and feels like the most you know feels feels very saturnine right the keeper of the bones um, in many of these operations you you go and appeal to a Zazel to send you. Um, the the ghost either to uh, deliver Azazel's answer to your question or as a as a as kind of a familiar spirit of sorts. But often you take grave uh, you take dirt uh, that has touched the body or touched the coffin and put it in linen and then put it under your pillow to dream the uh, the person who will come to you. Um, so again, we've got an awful lot of uh, very you know very lunar but also very saturnine. Features here uh, in this kind of work. Uh, it's also said in some of those operations, there's an intermediary stage where a appears to the magician, and you have to negotiate um, for the dead person to appear. Sometimes there are additional uh, ritual instruments and, and 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 protocols within the protocols. Uh, a magical circle, or interestingly, a plate of lead used as a lamina. So again, a very saturnine material uh, being employed um, in some. Uh, of those manuscripts you're also meant to have a mass said for the dead person um but not in all of them so there's something here that's going on with this keeper of the dead bones this ruler of the dead uh who also is uh, we also have operations um where you would do all of that stuff with the uh, getting a, a ghost familiar a ghost butler if you will uh in order to find treasure as well or um to be granted other spirit familiars
1: I love the idea of going in and changing all references to the word familiar to butler. <laughs> right? Ghost butlers. So like, as long as you put it in a classes based, service based industry, mm-hmm. then it's fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's where I let the butler suckle at night. <laughs> the help. <laughs> What it brings up very interestingly about this, what it makes me think of, the goat for Azazel is two purposes. Not just to take the sins on of the populace, but to witness the effectiveness of the sacrifice of the other goat. Mm. So it sees the sacrifice of the original goat and the the, the need for atonement. And then it is the one that takes that into the desert, which shows that by the goat going there means the other sacrifice has been done, which is interesting too. Yeah. And so there's an interesting there that also I like the parallel of sins when we talk about this in a larger kind of metaphysical makumba context of the idea of the choices not made or the choices mm. we have made and the ability to kill actions as no longer relevant to the current time. Yeah. There might be consequences from them, but the idea of, of expiated sins being dead in and of themselves and that the goat is connected to that is very interesting to me and takes it to a land where these sins live or something tears it apart or, or, or whatever it is. Um, but the, that's all very interesting. So the witness of dry bones there, that, um, that there's this idea that it could, could this Lord of the, of the, this world who is ex- exiled here mm. has to live with the, the choices that have been made is a master of this world and knows what things are. And therefore in time, all Azazel and the Watchers will sit over is dry bones, right? Um, there will be nothing left. Um, because, or, or heaven will be created anew on the earth and like, I don't know, whatever the mm. mythology is there. But this foreseeable time there, then mm. the, the, everything they've loved, all the women they've loved, all the men that they've
0: loved, all the people they've taught will die. This is a fascinating reading on um, one of my favorite parts of the excellent book where they refer to the spirit as our cell, uh, as um, which are a, a living and a loving spirit. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating take on that. That it's that, that they're going to be living and loving and and losing, uh, losing people the and, and the world.
1: Going on, right? Like, yeah,
0: just, yeah, a little bit,
1: little that bit. Is for that person that every person you love is going to die. Yeah, uh, unless yeah. You them. well, and it doesn't seem like Azazel has that that possibility, unless of course you know you're already condemned to hell and live in his mouth where he licks you for all eternity.
0: <laughs> right. Stop it! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this sense of like, there is this. Oh, now, <laughs> yeah, there, and and I think there's more going on there, like you say, than just this kind of like uh, role as a seducer. I think that gets over. I don't know. I think that gets overemphasized a little bit with the with the Nephilim and the Watchers. That just because they they did that doesn't mean that they're still out there doing that.
1: Well, certainly mythology loves one-dimensional characters, but we do not.
0: Right. The value of our history and the value of our myths and the value of not confusing the two. Mm. And even reanimating
1: mm. the myths into current context. So that's the beauty of, of lasting myth is that it applies still. And we adapt it to the current time period. So people argue the historicity in the context of myth. But the beauty in, in transmitting these stories still is that they are applicable to modern times. We can have a broadening of the appreciation of them by understanding the history and the context. But... I mean, not that this is proof of it being a, a a good practice, but what Christianity has done with a with with a scant ability to understand the context of the Hebraic tradition, which it it is said itself to have inherited, right, is is quite fascinating. I mean, it, it, people are going to do what they're going to do with information. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I think history and research are wonderful, and I love the passing on of tradition and the understanding of tradition that. That inspires things new, not just keeps it bound to the old in chains. is fantastic, and I think there's something beautiful about the watcher lore and how how these spirits teach. Right, that is what they taught these things to mankind. How long it was before they started teaching? I don't know. Maybe they were like, "Hey, Earth is great. And now I'm bored, so I might as well do something." And you know, who is it for uh, Azazel that like teaches so freaking much? Like this is the this is the the angel,
0: the the watcher of
1: alchemy. Mm. That's huge.
0: Yeah, 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 and the the you know the meta modeler of meta models, right? Um, so many, so many innuendos, innuendo, uh, etc. And Ooh. I think I think that notion of uh, uh, I, I think we can uh, uh, develop that idea about things changing and shifting, and spirits obviously having their own lives and, uh, and 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 changing and not being bound to who they were a thousand years ago. Uh, and it, I, and so I want to you know I want to accept that in the course of people. I would still say conflating um, at least the roles of a Zazel. Like, there are many roles here, whether that's like a byword for hell or for the wilderness or for the scapegoat or for the devil or for a particular fallen angel with certain uh, specific or broad purviews from the role of the ruling spirit of Saturn, Zazel. I, I you know, I, th- those are still two very distinct roles uh, in my practice. Even if it's the it's it's it is the same spirit wearing different hats, uh, and so I'm I'm interested in when this conflation that seems to arise around using the seal of Zazel for a Zazel, uh where that comes in, and 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 as as we were talking about before we started this, you, you know, you you raised the point again of hagiographic blur of certain stories being shared by. Uh, certain saints, um, because they might be from a similar area, or you know, it's another one of those saints that did a thing with a loaf of bread, or or was beheaded, or or, or, or had the same name, right? And so I, I agree. I think that's important. Uh, and just because they're just because they seem historically different, doesn't mean that one couldn't, you know, use the seal of Zazel in one's uh, Zazel work. I'm just interested in trying to approach the historicity of that conflation.
1: Oh, and rightly so, you are a historian, and that is the advantage of, of understanding those different ways of thought. Like I, I think the thing raising earlier, I'm not someone who can place them because I don't really work with Zazel in that like by name in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, also, it's always interesting too. Of like, we can harp on these differences, but like when practice starts overwhelming, you you become the underdog. You're like, okay, I'm the last person alive that remembers Zazel and Zazel are two different things. Go on to it, goddamn it. Right, It's also like, you know, it's my college uh, astronomy teacher talking heavily about like Pluto was not a planet at that time. That mm-hmm. I remember. And, and he was saying like when we was like, well, we know it's not a planet. It's a planetoid. But like, you got to wait for people to die this. <laughs> <laughs> they're not right. let go of it. And they're the ones that people are still he's like the ivory tower is still hierarchical. Yeah, yeah. Like enough people have to die. It doesn't mean if they even want to admit that they're wrong. They might, under behind closed doors, in a foreign language, run through like <laughs> a bulk, vocal yeah. disorder.
0: But I, you know, sometimes people gotta die a few a little bit. So, yeah, we we uh, spend so long talking about uh, paradigm shift from Thomas Kuhn and so little time talking about once he'd come up with that idea, what he got really interested in is like, well, when does it not happen? He called it paradigm lag. Like uh-huh. that's way more useful for us to look at, I think. Yeah.
1: Uh, would, also of, of evolutionary theory itself that like if we look at the record it jumps forward like there's a radically weird mutation that happens yes there's slow evolution but yeah something where like leaps and bounds happen and it's like wow what just happened yeah um, so i i think there's there's something to that too like it definitely to equate azazel with one of the uh planetary spheres yeah. already already starts to go into uh perhaps some of the zoroastrian type of parallels there of like the what are sometimes even called aeons in Western Zoroastrian yeah. methodology, but the, like the seven the seven planetary spheres are the primary archangels that we're dealing with in this the the, the orbiting of God um, mm-hmm. that is reflected by the the planetoids the, planet, the planetoids um, the 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 planets the classical planets you know orbiting around the Earth as as a as a symptom of Earth being a reflection of heaven in some way yeah um,
0: it also it also muddies the waters when we're trying to talk about Different kinds of planetary spirits as well, uh, distinguishing what be called the ruling spirits, or confusingly just the spirits, usually capitalized, of the, spirit a, 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 spirit of
1: the intelligences.
0: Right, the spirit, the ruling spirit from the intelligence, from the archangel, from the um, the 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 Hebraic archangels, um, from the uh, angels of the name of the planet uh, as well. Like there, there are lots of different planetary. Spirits, and especially when we're dealing with Saturn as well, uh, I think it's important that we don't bring in too much unwarranted demonology, uh, especially when often the the ruling spirits are considered to be, at best, amoral. Uh, and and you know, there's even passages of Agrippa where he's like, no, they're the evil side of the planet, uh, and we have to constrain them with the intelligence. Uh, And and when when people when when you know when you we we also got in that on that same internet forum, uh, people conflating Azazel and Zazel like that's only adding to an unuseful set of models. And and and, when we're still doing the same fearful Uh, you know medieval late medieval uh, notions, we're just flipping which is the goodies and which you know which ones we like and which ones we don't. We're still committing the same fundamental problems.
1: So you're trying to dismiss some people's. Inflations, as perhaps using the Middle English term "snow,"
0: like <laughs> like the gym, something of trifling value. Yeah, I, I'm. It's 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 me, and old Doctor Alan, the facts gang. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's always great when the facts are on your side, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's 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 when I like them. What it's is like uh, pickles, cherries, the history, uh,
0: historians serving at the altar of truth that never existed? Oh, the, yeah, the the. The, it's another presence of absence uh, meditation. Yes, um, what we can, ha- how certain we can be about what we're not certain about. <laughs>
1: mm. um, you know, this the notion too. With with, I think what's interesting. I I did not. Sometimes when we pick topics for the show, um, we we do try and group them, and, and sometimes we find really fun groupings as we're researching and as we're talking out loud. Is even the best ones, right? Mm. Um, but I'm struck by the kind of um, the piercing nature of what Azazel teaches, uh, the transformation through alchemy, the the swords, the knives, the breastplates, um, makeup, all of which grant victory in some way. Yeah, uh, this is victory over the in, the in the deformities and the impurities of nature, discarding mm-hmm. the cross through alchemy, um, rectifying things, and even victory in battle or victory mm-hmm. in production, which is its own form of battle, um, right. or victory against the flies that like to go around your eyes and the the need for. You know, coal in that way to deflect flies yeah. uh, or light, uh, like football players. So the side of it there that that for me that stands out is the 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 studding of swords in garnets um, and uh, on the bottom of the hilt to to bring victory, mm. uh, because uh, garnet is a, was has always been a fascinating stone to me. But I really enjoyed the kind of uh, sweeping wave of garnet lore that there is um that it is it is a substitute for ruby but it, it's far more uh in europe it goes back a long ways because it's it it is found in large caches in europe um so right. whenever Dragon dragons were hoarding it um eastern europe already had it early on far earlier than a lot of the other gem trades so mm-hmm. it becomes um the quintessential red, red stone of of hardened blood and specifically like the blood of the martyrs the blood of the saints um the blood of warriors who have gone before you to yeah. like call up the ancestry of 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 victory in this way, and so it it's it resonates very loudly with the, like the very things that Azazel teaches, um, mm-hmm. and secondly, too, with the idea of the Lord of Dry Bones. Um, one of the things that we do in uh, a larger, you know, as has been called in in a traditional craft setting of like reddening the bones, right? Mm-hmm. So, or you're, you're applying uh, an ochering pigment. So, pigmenting was taught by Azazel as well. But the idea of reddening the bones to give them life again, to let them speak—they are no longer dry. That you're oiling and and imbuing with red pigment. And also, what's interesting with garnet is that garnet was what was used on early sandpaper. So, like, I I remember when I found that out of like going and finding the old sandpaper, be like, "Yep, this is garnet sandpaper." I got me some garnet talisman. That's awesome. yeah, I because didn't know that. Chips were were good at rasping away, which then gives them feline connections as well, right? Like a cat's tongue. So yeah. all these things early on for, for garnet are, are are
0: are fun in that way. It has heart stimulant qualities as well, right? Um both in terms of um uh being good, like good for the heart, but also can make someone so angry that it can lead to a stroke, it's said sometimes. So you have that like again, the the controlling uh, aggressive violence of 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 Blackthorn as well a little bit there, but but being being employed to a good purpose. That in doing that, it can also preserve the body's health and um and defeat illnesses. Again,
1: the nature of not all garnet is red. By the way, a lot of it's green. Mm. Um, so there's this lovely Venusian Mars connection that happens between the two of them. Um, in that way of like the 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 heart that beats for war or beats for love. Uh, and the it obviously associated with health, but uh, and the vital organs and things like this, but uh, definitely uh, said to balance the sex drive and balance the libido. And for people who are lacking in creativity or not finding that fire, uh, a misguided libido, um, that, that Garnet can help restore that. And I, I find it interesting in the sense of it was literally studded the, the, is it the pommel on the end of the sword? It was commonly put there to, to bring that victory and to bring that balance to the person that it reminds me of the the notion of uh, puer as being a sword. Mm. That, that means that the garnet is like shining high up there in all of its masculine nature of what yeah. that is. And that it's also the name itself. Garnet is pomegranate related. Yeah. granatus. yeah. It's a little pomegranate seed, which is... Mm-hmm fascinating because that's also victory over death right mm. we're not going to be plunged into winter forever that we're not mm-hmm. going to be that, that, that the maiden is not gone into hell forever
0: yeah i i use it for um Cauda draconis work because it uh ameliorates a lot of the uh or finds useful things for all of the bad qualities of of Cauda. um so it's more it's less like oh, i'm using this stone because it resonates with those virtues and more because it's like a hazmat suit for working with those mm. virtues
1: well, that makes sense. I mean, like, right? Vedicly, it's associated with the sun and mm. the unconquerable light of the sun. Yeah, so it's the blood of the sun on this planet. So, it, to to have the thing that can also eat the sun, yeah, and to go in with the the the
0: unconquering sun, yeah, uh, as its remedy is interesting. Yeah, and that connection to light is one of the main things that I ended up looking at uh, in terms of the um, following up. I I'd, I'd, I'd seen a little bit um, the 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 idea that some translators argued that it's mentioned uh, in Genesis uh, as being the thing that lights the way for Noah's Ark, Mm -hmm. Um, the Zohar stone. Um, And sometimes Zohar is just straight up translated as window and people are like, no, it's not a stone. It's just, it's the window by which the light came in and and thus could be navigated. Um, There's a lot of problems with that um, uh, Talmudically and a lot of like, not exactly Midrash, but like commentary that says, but this comes after a whole section about how um, or, 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 uh, is built on folklore around, um, the fact that Noah's Ark was carefully partitioned so that the animals didn't all eat each other. Right. So how does this window, um, give off all this light? And so it's also said that the, the Zohar stone is, um, a glowing stone that, uh, that Abraham had, um, and, and, and feeds into a bunch of legends about that glowing jewel. And again, it's the, it's the 30 pieces of silver, right, uh, actually being gold retconned uh, so that it can be the gold of the magi uh, and, and thus the gold of... Like, it, it's that uh, young Indiana Jones thing of like, you saw this before, We're gonna, it, so every time we mention pieces of silver, it, it might well be the same silver. So the idea is that this stone is um, uh, traced back again to Adam and Eve. Uh, it's traced back again to a thing they're given on being expelled uh, as a kind of like womp womp consolation prize slash um, thing to keep you safe uh, in the world, uh, in the world of death, uh, and that it then through them comes into possession of Noah, who hangs it on the ark. Um, and and there's also traditions of saying that the glowing stone was used as an astrolabe as well, by which um, Noah and, and 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 Abraham could uh, could study the stars, and that connection between studying the stars. We see it with like. Um, pretty much, you know. It seems most figures, uh, especially Solomon, who are considered to be very wise, uh, usually demonstrate that wisdom with an understanding of the of the stars and the and the stones and herbs um, that can help cultivate and awaken that those virtues on the earth.
1: And certainly, I, I'm still going to bring up like Azazel's like teaching of mineral magic. Yeah, mineral lore is fascinating. Also with Noah and light that this is Noah's role, right? Like he's born brilliantly shiny and his son goes blind when he sees him naked. And it's like, oh, is this about father's nudity or the fact that like Noah emanates light? Right. Um, There is a weirdly uh, applicable, uh, some lore around uh, Garnet and sometimes Ruby in um, some borderland uh, magic where it is believed to be the stone that is that fell from Eve when uh, Adam and her first had sex because it broke her hymen. Oh. And uh, it signifies the breaking of the pure light that is the, the purity of her virginity, which um, is all fine and dandy, except that's not how the hymen works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. That is not how windmills work. It's, it's, um. it's, it's not a trampoline. It's no. you know, like a balloon arch, as that one series post <laughs> talked about. You know,
0: When you say Borderlands, you're talking...
1: Rio Grande Valley kind of
0: borderland is like uh, a- along the along the border
1: of with Mexico so mm. southwest United States like Rio Grande Valley is the southern tip so that's Rio Grande Valley has the reputation of being basically Mexico right because it's so far beneath what would be the normal Mexican the parallel that divides the United States and Mexico but by by modern standards um mm. it'd be much higher right. um uh, borderland in the sense that like this kind of norteño uh blurred culture between Arizona and Colorado, New Mexico, Southern California, um, Texas, uh, these, these these southern, southwestern United States, and northern Mexico, just culturally, culture doesn't stop at a border, right, 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 right. Especially a border that crosses you, yes, but hmm. yeah. So there's this lore of being connected to Adam and Eve, um, yeah, uh, garnets and rubies, or even things like this, um, representing uh, the the light that emanates from chastity, the light that. Um, is preserved in the stone, that the stone in some lore
0: glows in the dark, right? That it's- Yes, exactly, exactly. And so it's not just that the stone can, t- we, we, you know, it's very easy for us, I don't know, In in uh, to think about, uh, again, coming from a, a background of like tables of correspondence, it's very easy for us to think about what, what stone carries the virtues of that star, but actually it's kind of the reverse, that the, the stone's light allows you to to illuminate uh, the world and illuminate the, the study of the motion of the stars. So it's the other way around. It's the stone that grants the, the power of the stars, not the stars that grants the power of the stone, it seems. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the Abrahamic stuff. And it would also bring, um, the glowing would also bring immediate healing to any sick person who looked at it as well, interestingly. It's also one of the
1: stones heavily associated with Aldebaran uh, oh. in lore. Uh, it's it's not the only stone that's attributed to Aldebaran, but it's right. uh, stuff. It's uh, ruby or carbuncle.
0: Well, that's interesting in of itself. In the um, the Septuagint calls um, translates as garnet as carbuncle. Uh, I was going through a, 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 some um, work by Liz Green um, about this about the the breast the breastplate of Aaron, and the it's it's meant to be the fourth stone uh, that is translated as turquoise in the Tanakh. Um, it's emerald in the King James Bible. It's carbuncle in the Septuagint, and it's turquoise in the New American Standard Bible. But it's garnet in Strong's Dictionary. So uh, again, like what do we- can be green and turquoise can be green too. It's an interesting side of it there, right? That makes a lot more sense, right?
1: I yeah. mean, as far as behenian and things, it's 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 it increases riches and brings honors when it's applied well with um, thistle, uh, milky thistle. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting, I mean, certainly Aldebaran is its own interesting star because it is so red. It is so easy to find it uh, within the, the, you know, you have the horns of the bull there. So if you see Orion, which is a great easy marker, right? If you look to the left and down, you can see Sirius so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you follow it over to the right, you're going to see the Pleiades over in the uh, hovering with Taurus and the horns of the bull. And then you look down and you'll see that red glowing star that's Aldebaran. It's one of the yeah. easiest for the Maheni to find, hmm. uh, than, you know, Sirius is pretty damn easy too. Uh, and the Pleiades, but you have this like swelling of Behenian um, fun stuff right there. But Aldebaran is, is um, I don't know, it's, it's one of the main stars of heaven. It's one of the corners of heaven. Mm. So, you associated with that, you know, I'm thinking that um, it's probably worth mentioning that too, uh, as far as the quarters of heaven in,
0: in the Levantine uh, four main watcher king stars. Right. Of which Azazel is sometimes one of four. Um, Agrippa gives that uh, description of the, along with various other um, uh, names that sound remarkably like Azazel as well.
1: Happens when you don't know a language well, too. <laughs> Everything starts to sound like itself. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it, uh, a little knowledge being a way more dangerous thing than none. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Uh,
1: all right, so we've gone through the Zagarnet and the Blackthorn and you know, started a conversation on, on Azazel, <laughs> and, uh, the, the Ice Saints, and, and Pancras. Um, playing off of this uh, I think also just if, if we're going to continue in this vein it makes sense to, to, to bring up Enoch a little bit more um, yeah we've already kind of broached that with, with even trying to figure out how do you refer to the Enochian lore that pre-exists John B. which then are you speaking of you have to predicate what you're you're speaking on you have to right. <laughs> like <laughs> um, but yes uh, do being that uh, if people don't know and you can like it or not but it's still a fact that al you are an expert in uh early modern magic uh of the british isles and here is probably arguably one of the preeminent figures of the period um would you like to describe uh enoch and D and the relationship and why the names are are associated in, the, in that way
0: Sure. Oh, yeah um
1: so, we're probably going to talk about john d another time
0: yeah. yeah, and, and, and I think it is important that we separate those things. The, I mean, the root of, of why uh, the angelical operations and the language of the angel specifically starts being called Enochian is these search for a, what gets called a natural language or an Adamic language sometimes. And it is said to be, it, it, it's, it's worth, he's looking for Enoch because the law is that Enoch, quote, walked with God and was not. So there's a bunch of stuff around Enoch you know, getting into heaven, but crucially is meant to have spoken with with God and with the angels in their own language and was the last one to do so. So the book of Enoch, this uh, not the book, but, uh, but the notion of a book of a textual record uh, from Enoch of how to speak this language is increasingly necessary to D and to the wider Renaissance humanists' endeavour as well as the 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 occult one which is that you have to be able to speak the language the true language the the natural language of the language of nature the language of god in order to understand the world and thus to change it this is a big deal for many many reformers of of the pre-scientific revolutions and and the scientific revolution that you have to be able to articulate the thing to understand the thing right that that the that the words we use there's a there's a lot going on here right in, in, in terms of the semiotics that's developing but uh the root notion is that because enoch talked to god uh so too does d that's his search for the Libra and those kinds of things he's looking for a way to most accurately talk about nature so that we can uh augment it and 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 well ideally we can rectify it is the is the notion that uh that That, after Eden it's all been downhill from there, and this return to uh, to restore Eden um, in order to do that, we need to be able to speak the language of nature uh, to do so and to return ourselves to it uh, and this also obviously ends up being a massive um, factor in um, the rise of the British Empire, a term which Dee is famous for for coining, and for the colonialist endeavor of seeking the new Eden in the, in the new world, uh, and, uh, and building a new Eden in this land where definitely no one else lives. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and definitely this, this pure unspoiled wilderness that is so like, um, paradise that we can return to it through our combination of, of hard work and, uh, and colonization. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a massively important factor in, uh, in, in D's work and in, a variety of related apocryphas. And then on top of that, you also have uh, the other stream of books attributed to uh, Enoch, which relate a variety of apocrypha uh, in short, um, and talk of how he enters heaven um, and uh, what he gets up to when he's there, uh, which um, a point we would made earlier about uh, keeping a record of everything bad that's ever happened right uh, that that Azazel is meant to do that Enoch is is also supposedly sometimes uh, said to do that as well as well as going on a harrowing through hell as well as entering heaven wonderful thing with Enoch and Elijah both because they're
1: both taken by God mm-hmm. right Elijah in this glorious chariot and Enoch walks with God for 300 years and you know was not just as you as you just said right but that the very christian idea that these are the two witnesses of revelation 11 That they're going to be dressed in sackcloth witnessing everything Mm. at the end times. So there's already this, um, uh, bringing about the end times thing, which is, is part and parcel for D's side of things too, right? The, the political motivations of, of Ken bringing heavenly the the earthly Jerusalem, you know, speeding it along, especially when an empire is at, at a very good peak, um, is, is an interesting consideration for the motivations behind things, whether or not we can happen to that mindset yeah
0: it's but, also said that enoch uh is the is origi- he's, he's the first writer he's the originator of writing um there have been books before then interestingly but they are to be read from from stones and things yeah, yeah. um uh and and he's the first one that that puts the pen to paper supposedly so um this the is another this is, the difference between inscribing something
1: mm. or or carving into clay versus mm-hmm. the the flowing of ink
0: which yes it's uh you know, ties us back to blackthorn um, oh yeah and uh, well there's a more direct tie to to blackthorn as well because Idris uh Enoch in, in the uh Islamic uh, treatments is also celebrated as the first to cut cloth and to stitch it into garments and so said to be the inventor of the needle and the art of sewing
1: uh, okay so we have the the blackthorn needle coming through there
0: uh, yeah there's a there's a lovely um there's a lovely quote about um uh, he was the first tailor, and whenever he pierced a hole with the needle, he would invoke God at the same time. And whenever he pulled it back out, he would simultaneously invoke God. So we have this in breath and out breath of stitching prayer and fastening fabric alike.
1: So parallel to writing itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the, yeah. 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 It's done, right? So you're, you're pronouncing the word, and then you're pronouncing each letter, and then you pronounce the word again at the end of draw, writing each word of the Torah. Yes. Yeah. So there can be no nothing in your mind while you're writing except the word and the letters and the components themselves. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to, if he's the first tailor then um, that the, the forcing to dress the witnesses in Revelation into sackcloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they become wearing the the humility of that on there. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, and yeah. they will, my authority to two witnesses and they will prophecy for uh Twelve hundred sixty days, clothed in sackcloth.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the Book of Jubilees, right, uh, says that his his um, his vision that he has in his sleep is of um, uh, what will happen to the children of men throughout their generations until the until the day of judgment. He saw and understood everything and wrote his testimony and placed the testimony on earth for all the children of men and their generations. He's he's a testifier. He's a writer. He's a charter of of natural processes, but also specifically, he's a witness of um, of wickedness. Right, he's uh, he's keeping he's the one keeping keeping track of everything, and I think this is a reason why uh, why Agrippa lists him as one of the alleged authors of books of darkness of the of, of the nigromancers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is one of his his key qualifications: is that um, along with visions and dreams of, of heaven, he's also meant to go through the uh, go, go through Sheol, right, the, of, of of the underworld. And that he is a guide, therefore, through the lands of the dead and across the, you know, the lich gates of the soul's crossings, you know, so he's literally been through hell so he can, he can direct you through it. Um, but he also has this like miraculous total historical awareness, right? He has this commitment to testimony and true testimony in this kind of apocalyptic role as a, as like an archivist of human sin. Right. Um, but he's also conducting his, his, um, his afterlife, which is expressly identified in some cases as being in the Garden of Eden, as writing down the condemnations and judgment of the world and all the wickedness of the children of men. And so he's a prosecutor as well as an archivist. And so to attribute black magic texts to such a record keeper of all human evil, I think, is is, is really interesting. You know, it's it's obviously it's a repository of evidence, right? So it, it it includes all the operations and endeavors of black magic that you can therefore learn from. Um, but I also think there's something there about how yesterday's heresiography can be tomorrow's inspiration, you know, for the enterprising uh, black magician. I'm fascinated by okay, the witnessing side is great.
1: Um, the, the the fact that there's always two witnesses to something is different is 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 a fascinating uh, cultural contextualization too, right? That the mm. two witnesses to something means it's it can't be debated. One witness is questionable, but even the nation, the, the notion of the um, two angels on the mercy seat that witness the the descent of the shekhinah in front mm-hmm. of the race that are there as permanent witnesses, um, and then these the two witnesses in Revelation of which Enoch and Elijah are, are said to be, but that Enoch in his ascension, you know, is taken up and becomes Metatron is is such a fascinating thing and is yeah. uh, is is, is it, it pokes a whole bunch of of issues in the the race theories of heaven and hell um that like you know islamic lore is very specific about the devil actually being uh, the 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 iblis is is jinn is mm-hmm. a, an incredibly industrious jinn that was loved by god and taken and given the rank of angel mm-hmm. um even though the angels were a separate creation and similarly you find metatron being the highest of the metatrush the metatron being the highest of the angel, um, the the Arabic name specifically means angel of the veil. So this mm-hmm. idea of the thing that witnesses the face of God and then translates for other people. Right. So that interesting side of writing to take what is ineffable or to take what is intangible at least and to turn it into something that fa- that that fascinates me. That as the as the one who is with writing also is so tied to this very speech of God and we take yeah. it into. Uh, judaic lore so specifically that god speaks creation into existence mm-hmm. um, there's something really profoundly wonderful in
0: there with enoch and the richness of enoch there um okay. through that and 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 this link with writing to uh the seasons as well um that he's th- said to be the first to uh produce like a, a calendar um this is again in, in in jubilees uh interestingly um and to set in order the months and recounted the sabbaths of the year All right so again writing things out uh And actually, inscribing things as a way of um, of uh, orienting ourselves in time as well as space, which you even see that by
1: the time we get to Enoch, that our memory as humans is starting to fail, that we are so far far from the Garden of Eden. Mm. We have the invention of writing in order to propel us forward again, right? Like that's there's a side of that too, which is is you know I have mixed feelings about the whole Golden Age philosophy and that you know, as we go further back in time, that we're somehow more pure. As in, I think it also falsely leads us to think that older things are better, but uh, I'll take refrigeration any day uh, (laughs) antibiotics. (laughs) However, you know, it is something that pervades magic, which is interesting because we have this natural bias that that magic is pre-scientific and therefore the older we go, the more original it must go. And there is certainly a different, um, there is an amount of, of, deteriorization that happens when something is removed from its cultural context and its source. And, you know, we were just talking about this with, with regards to Judeo-Christianity and, and especially Western Christianity, which is so far divorced from the Levantine traditions that created it, mm. um, or at least that it claims to have inherited if we want to take Christianity as a kind of a Hellenic-Levantine um, merging of ideas. Um, but Eastern Mediterranean at that, and here we are in American Protestantism and it's a completely different thing. Or is it? Or is it not? And like, you know, this <laughs> idea that... Um, anyone can read the Bible and therefore make their own opinion, but the Bible was still translated and dictated. And, and the book of Enoch is such a perfect example of that, that right. it's not that it's a lost book of the Bible. It's a book mm. that was purposely edited out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they didn't know it existed. And the ability to to amend sacred scripture is something, I and mean, you, you get to the point of like, that's the whole point of calling Muhammad the seal of the prophets, peace be upon him. It, it is about, there is nothing that needs to come after this. Everything right. is here which is an interesting seal to put on it. And and to, I don't know, my brain goes into, it's like break the seals,
0: kill the Buddha, kill your- Pour forth the vials upon the earth.
1: Yeah. Let the garnets of of the the blood of the martyrs pour forth. Mm. And drink that chalice full of garnets right now and let that sandpaper tear you apart from the inside. Sure, you know, like we all have our sacred cows, but perhaps a burger is a good thing from a a time to buy. (laughs) So Enoch himself as a magician, so we have, I mean, I, I find clothing and writing to be very good forms of magic for me to be involved with. Mm. Uh I may not embrace the the
0: fashion side so much, but the uh Well you love the uh you love the language side. Uh, and I was I, I, was, I, was, I was I was gonna say thank you. Good going Oh no 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 oh yeah, I'm interrupting you totally. Um I might my, my but your um Arabic is probably a lot better than mine. That Qatar and, and Qata, uh to write and to sew are kind okay. of homophonic, uh in, in Arabic and so this may be where we get the one from the other, where we get the where we get the tailoring from his writing, because the writing is 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 far more uh, scripturally attributed. Yeah,
1: certainly. I mean, try liter try try the uh, try form roots of the Arabic words are just like they're amazing, mm. right? To have three mm. letters, through are then from breathe differently means that the clay is being animated differently.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, for for me, uh, Enoch's main magic has to be partly that he's the student of Gabriel, who and and therefore. Uh, who transmits the the books of Adam, um, and uh, is uh, and one of the, the things is is Al Ramel is is the original Arabic geomancy. So uh, Adam is the first geomancer, but also in a way, Enoch is the first geomancer as well, or the first uh, geomancy human student learning from the books of a uh, of a of a human teacher, mm-hmm. but also being tutored by by Gabriel as well or Jibril. So the yeah the the, the geomancy is strong, uh, and again we're back to two witnesses being important in a shield chart, right? That's yeah, that's very true.
1: I like the idea um, uh, by one of my uh, advisors in in uh, cup is uh, the stumbling steps of Adam and Eve out out of Eden were interpreted, and that was the, oh. the geomancy itself. Those watching that and. S- dividing it into segments and seeing the future of mankind through the wandering steps of the now outcast Adam and Eve. Oh, 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 oh. oh that is juicy because Especially if, it's going yes. from hidden. The garden, the garden, you know, to, to the garden of Eden is hidden. That's what its name means. Um, yeah. Go into now full awareness of the world. Mm. Walk out there and the stumbling, the falling, the, the falling to your knees, picking each
0: other up. What does that mean in parallel? And yeah, This type of uh, it makes so much more sense of like the the testaments and the apocrypha of of Adam and Eve being all about them like throwing themselves down as if dead uh, because uh, in sorrow like it's 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 happening like every other chapter every other verse right Um, that's also fascinating in terms of um, uh, conversations I've had with Sam about some theories around proto geomancy coming from interpreting the uh, footprints of birds on sand as well. And um, interpreting, and interpreting, and, and walking without rhythm. <laughs> yeah. Or the,
1: you know, trying to find your rhythm as to, <laughs> yeah. as to like the 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 standard way of pen and ink geomancy is to like get that rhythm and just try and break it and like start the next line. Yeah. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, my experience in watching people do pen and ink geomancy is that a lot of it is getting that staccato So that, because as soon as you can get that rhythm fast, you yeah. kind of lost the counting of it. Yeah. Um which is if you go deliberately, it's much easier to count. Um
0: Yeah. And and it's that you get caught in a in a in a pattern and then you start to think about that you know that it's an odd or an even coming up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like the um the one line drawing model where you count how many times you cross over the line. Cause that for me is easier for um not even subconsciously like counting uh, how many dots are down, because it's about taking the pen for a for a for a dance then.
1: Yeah, I like the uh, partner. There's also uh, a way in, in many forms of, uh, especially in Katha, of like having someone tapping and like, they're doing, they're a separate one for the analyzer. So, like going and having a young kid just kind of randomly tap with a stick on the sand and then you count uh, certain things, like you nice. can uh, apply even measurement to that line. Yeah. And then see. Um, also, like grabbing handfuls of beans and things like this that you see in, in, in various uh,
0: permutations on this. And do they pass the beans between hands? uh i don't know a lot of
1: that is is prominent in uh central europe right so like mm-hmm. the it comes from from a little bit further east version of geomancy mm-hmm. but uh is grabbing handfuls so even in grabbing handfuls i don't i don't know if, i've not read um and the two times i've seen it was not passed to a hand the way that we would see any faf Um but the grabbing also of a handful and then having to count you know 50 yeah. is very different from having to only count two or three
0: Yes, yes, the smaller the bear. Uh,
1: you know, I'm also remembering in the back of my head. Um it's interesting cuz it's making me think of the as I said the mercy seat with with Enoch and uh uh being the metatron and the witnesses there, but the mercy seat is Sandalphon and Metatron, right? Mm. So and so like the the, the Sandalphon is the is prominently said to be one of the angels on top especially in, in uh as heavily promoted by the Golden Dawn, but the Sandalphon is the the twin brother of Metatron. And right, that- and so
0: we've got another Malkuth is in Keter and Keter is in Malkuth kind of thing. But Sandalphon is Elijah. Mm. Mm. And like the name Ophon is doing to Wheel, which is interesting because
1: a Wheel of Fortune, right? Uh, mm. uh, not, not Pat Sajak, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but the idea here that you're pairing two humans that have witnessed the divine on Earth as being the thing that is on top of the Ark of the Covenant is fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh but the the witness is there, so it just plays into my um i you know i 'm not big on conspiracy theories, but when you start going into like the flow of of Talmud and Torah into Christian things back and forth and playing it like I at least like reading it uh, yeah uh just because when everything is mathematical as well it's start there 's a whole other thing going blown up there mm-hmm. uh, yeah,
0: one i one i've one one more thing to say about uh, and it's it's it 's because it's um it's it's a it's a line that I haven't found any further evidence for. Donald Tyson says of um the mention of Enoch, because I've been going through uh, generally going through Agrippa's um uh, necromantic and nigromantic material and specifically going through his alleged authors of Books of Darkness as as furthering the you know the 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 um lineage or the the litany or the rogues gallery of um of of dead magicians to to talk to. Um he he singles out, he says that there's a magical work as, ascribed to Enoch on fifteen stars, fifteen stones, fifteen herbs, and fifteen images to be engraved on the stones. And that's it. Like uh he, he I think he quotes someone. Yeah, he quotes Thorndike. Uh I looked it up and that's all Thorndike says about it as well. But not only does that make me think of the the fifteen uh usual places in a uh, in a quote unquote standard uh, shield chart, not um, not counting the uh, reconciler or the sentence or the super judge, depending on what you want to call that, the sixteenth uh, place in a in a shield chart. It's also uh, brought to mind the the Bahenia, obviously. I don't know, but behenie are always a a love of mine. But
1: um, I'm I'm curious this notion of like the three main change cards of the tarot. Let's say, like if you're dealing with the fool, death, and the wheel of fortune, mm-hmm. they're different types of change, right? Like there's 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 the the journey forward. There's um, kind of
0: personally motivated to the, you know, uh, the fool as the, as the primal breath. It's the, it's, it's, it's the movement that you make to be alive in the world, whereas ripping of the hymen of your journey. Right. And that might, and that might be bounded by death. And, you know, it only, this is only the beginning. Um, but then the wheel of fortune is like, also the universe is doing that. Right. Uh, also, also this change occurring outside of you, it's not about you. That also the 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 direct call to the antipode that happens
1: in the Wheel of Fortune. Mm. It is there's an ascent that if you are in a bad it's 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 overwhelmingly felt to be a positive card, even though it shows the change of station. Right. But the idea that if you get this and you're looking for a yes or no, it's it's most likely a yes. Mm. That, that positivity carries through in the Wheel of Fortune that like um, You You've know, got to laughing, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's funny that. our world. <laughs> there's there's that quality, right?
1: Yeah. And and certainly the the rider weight version that we you know we were talking about with the the Hermonibus and the 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 snake uh, and the sphinx. And yeah, that or perhaps a sedian type figure um Helen red or Typhon, yeah. Yeah. That um and also the 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 tarot itself being the wheel there, TARO and going back to the T which I I really that part is the the linking part, the the not palindromic, but the cyclical part of like starting the word over again by joining back. It's the snake eating its own tail, where you make tarot and Ouroboros as opposed to just a snake. So yeah. it, it drives me a little crazy when it just becomes T A R O. And I'm like, but it spells out tarot anyway. And, mm. um,
0: uh, and Orota and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're into, we're into Saitos Square at that point.
1: Yeah. So there's something there. The, the trivial pursuit. <laughs>
0: Uh, slices of see.
1: pie in the middle interestingly that um, also if we take the equilateral cross that has the um, the mercury salt and sulfur uh, alchemical symbols on it mm-hmm. and water or Aquarius just to make me mad um, <laughs> but the the St. Andrew's cross over it you know what a St. Andrew's cross is? the Bahanian symbol for Aldebaran um, <laughs> How about Uh, that? Not not that I'm expressing conspiracy. I'm just expressing like our own conspiracy at being like, look at how we made everything fit together, right? Uh, So, uh, yeah, and then of course the the four winged beasts around the outside being the 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 cherubim of Ezekiel's vision, um, uh, the faces of the cherubim of Ezekiel's vision because they would all be bound to one. But the gospel writers themselves, or the 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 evangelists, yeah. Um, So there's there's something interesting to that side of it. The wheel of fortune gets depicted in in many ways, and I think it's um, it's de-Christianization and de-Egyptian Egyptianification, mm-hmm. decommunization yeah. uh, through when it gets interpreted through other artists is
0: always interesting to me. But something- the, the the beautiful images you get from the the German Handbook of um, uh, of the planets on the on the wheel as well. Uh-huh. That. Um, that, you know, that rather than it being a bunch of different, um, orbits, that they're all on the same orbit and ascension, they're all, that there is something cyclical, even if it isn't, uh, specifically mapping the, the astronomical bodies, right? That, that there's still this concept of like, things will rise to prominence and fall.
1: I also really love that when I see this card, I hear Carl Orff's O Fortuna from Carmina Varana in my head. Um, <laughs> And the the, the 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 idea here that fortune, this is the the card of Lady Fortune and in some ways uh, is not our Catherine that we spoke about last time, but is heavily tied to Catherine of Alexandria and the Catherine. Right. Um, it's right. a stand-in for, for Dama Fortuna for, for many people.
0: Um, right, right. And also the wheel that uh, Kairos is said to kind of fly around on UFO style. Uh, Kairos is the, uh, the embodiment or the anthropomorphization or the emblemization of uh the right time to act so we talk about like well i think we have before now talked about kairos time and chronos time um but if if not taken as a a phenomenological type of time but just taken as the right time to act kairos in the in the renaissance certainly uh, where a lot of these depictions emerge is the um is the spirit of of acting when you should and and seizing your moment and seizing your opportunity uh and so she's said to have uh the depiction has a is 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 very punk she's she's basically got a chelsea and uh, and you can grab the the front of the, her bangs her fringe uh, as she's coming but no hair on the back so you so so once opportunity is passing you by it's too late but she's said to along with uh, carrying loads of knives uh, which is always cool she's also said to ride on uh, a wheel there's often i don't know if she's meant to be like unicycling but most of the depictions i've seen it's a, it's like a flying saucer it's on its side but it's still expressly identified as the Wheel of Fortune.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, bringing up Kairos brings up a whole other load for me because I know it's defined in that way, but I remember, you know, a part of, um, there are, I'm sure, I don't think it's just Southern California, but there are many high school Catholic students who will go on a, on a Kairos retreat their senior year, which is expanded upon in a very larger Christal, Christian um, mystic, mystical uh, definition of being the time out of time. And that the 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 right to act comes from it no longer being bound to time that it is the realm and the place where you're able to make a decision
0: closer to being in union with god and Mm -hmm. not bound to the world and also the notion of uh, you also see it, it, it at least in like the renaissance onwards of um that uh that consideration of sin as missing the mark and the the notion therefore of like uh kairos is the ability to reach past sin
1: yeah I mean, even in so much as like the, the complication of sin being alienation from God, that in Kairos there's no time bound element to that, that we have right. the opportunity to retreat into a kairotic state at any point and reunify ourselves with that which is to
0: re-legare, to
1: religionize
0: ourselves. Which we we see with stitching ourselves to things, we see with, you know, uh the lines forming sentences in a book and therefore a you know, a judgment and a containment of things.
1: The idea too that what is it like when this card is reversed and you see the Hermenubis like slipping down the other way and the sphinx who is so
0: planted in their position but there's no way that sphinx could maintain itself if it was reversed right all so, so the easy one is that it's a it's a turning point but a turning point for the worse rather than for the better because of that natural i think it's I, I, I don't know i i think certainly by the time you've you've decided this is the the card of of, of uh primary jupiterian virtue when, you, when that's done, that like, there's a tendency to view it more favourably because it's the greater benefic. So there's a way of reading it simply which is it's still a turning point because it's still a circle right in the centre, but now it's, um, it's bad uh, bad luck rather than a turn, of, uh, f- 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 uh, a turn up for the books, uh, right? Uh, uh, a good turn. Uh, but also it's sometimes read reversed as resistance to change or indeed to breaking cycles or patterns, mm-hmm. which I find interesting. And and has less of a, this is the this is the white hat and this is the black hat, right? This is the white thorn, this is the black thorn of it. This is when it's good. This is when it's bad, and rather more dependent on context and what you're attempting to achieve.
1: Well, the emphasis becomes less upon the the um, Boschian inhabitants of the outer rim of the wheel, but on the the whole context of the wheel itself, mm-hmm. which allows you to question about what side are you on uh, of this of this wheel, um, you know. I think everyone can find ways in which they want to improve their life, but it, you can also identify ways in which your life could most likely be worse. Um, so it's very hard to know which side you're on of this, of this, yeah. the fickleness of fortune that is blind, right? That spins the wheel and it's the lottery
0: wheel. It's um, too soon to say. Yeah, that's the, that's it's the, the, the quote attributed to, I think it's attributed to Mao, right? Asked about the French Revolution uh, at the time he's, you know, he's chairman and quips that it's too soon to say. <laughs> yeah you need, you need some time to pass um, yeah to have some uh to to
1: know which way the the newly invented tradition is going to go
0: yes and a big part of the problem of uh Christian authors uh you know um beyond supersessionism itself beyond them you know picking or cherry picking examples from uh from talmud uh, and from Torah is that uh it's 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 decontextualizing something and, yeah. you know this this might happen and you know uh old testament god might be a jerk about this thing but that's so this thing can happen 12 chapters later or, yeah. or you know four books later right we, you, you know it's a to- benefit of an entire community and uh,
1: of people that are trying to figure out how to logically make sense of it all right. over the course of thousands of years right. uh, uh i also it's the you know the the debate that's been happening since before the fall of the the second temple about one word in the bible that are in the torah that was de- decided in the 20th century um mm. as finally definitive after after more than 1900 years of, of argument but the wheel of fortune is an interesting card in that way it's just it, it to have the witnesses of the gospel writers there the thing the idea that it's the evangelists some yeah. form the gospel that is there's the new word of god
0: that is um the the logos incarnate right so <laughs> yeah that really interests me so on the one hand it's 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 the evangelists having their tool having the the tools of their trade right Um, they, they're the ones that like got this down, but it also like that notion of it being the book of nature again, or the, or, or a book of Adam or a book of God or a book of natural language. Like, again, we move from the personal changes of the, of the fool and, and death to the, the change that is the world and, and, and the books that it's needed and, and that it's, you know, that it needs four of them (laughs) telling the same story from slightly, you know, rationing it. Um, definitely tied to the equinoxes and the solstices as well.
1: Right. Um, and similarly, in, in, in the Wheel of Fortune, which often gets taken to the Wheel of the Year in very neo pagan in, in, uh, inspired decks, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about Kairos, uh, linking it back, what is Kairos in Greek? Weather in modern Greek. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Ship of, of tempo and tempo in, in uh, tiempo, tiempo, tempo, 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 um, tempo, uh, these different forms of the word for weather, um, yes. which is time. Uh, and so the passage of time is the passage of
0: weather, but the two
1: are not necessarily always related, but they are, but they're not, but they are.
0: Right, 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 right. And you get this with with weather prediction, especially, um, and especially, especially uh, astrologically I weather didn't predictions. I did mean that segue. Shit, that was good. No, that was nailed it. Yeah, that <laughs> was great. I was just thinking about Kairos. Wow, yeah. Okay, so weather. So mm-hmm. the Wheel of fortune making weather here on its kairotic shift. Uh, so the, the, the I mean, certainly the one I'm more, most familiar with in terms of weather prediction is is studying uh, early modern almanacs. And um, usually they're the observation of the of the moon, right? And, um, and that's generally framed as an incl- uh, inclination to moisture around the full and the new moons. Um, there are other, other more complicated things, uh, but this idea of um, lunar phases having an astrological use as prompts for weather changes uh, after calendar and astronomical features is really interesting, especially when calendar features stop including so much astrology. They 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 still keep uh, the weather pre- the weather prediction is some of the last astrolog- practical astrological law to be phased out. Especially
1: when the astrological year is still tied to the 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 solar stellar year is is a predictable thing that which we can account by. So yeah. pre- seasonal predictions, which are broad, but still we know that spring is different from fall, which is different from summer, which is different from winter. yeah, yeah. things distinctly begin. I mean, sure, there's astronomical events that we can pinpoint. And you know, on our fixed astrological um, tropical zodiac, um, this makes perfect sense to align it with us and all of the folklore that we have around that. Uh, less so in a stellar zodiac, but the stellar zodiac is uh, the the sidereal zodiac. Um, but this is also from a place where, which is much closer to the equator too, which mm-hmm. has different seasonal shifts, which I find always fascinating in that
0: way. You know, we we, we see this, you see this we again. see this a lot that like that time is another one of those things that we think of as. We we finally we finally discovered like how it actually works. We discovered the proper way of doing it eventually, right? This 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 scientism um, that can emerge about uh, a solar calendar, uh, and 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 that you know an awful lot of excellent uh, advice I've heard from you know uh, practitioners I really respect. um, You know, responding to questions from um, people just getting started out on their path about you know keeping to a lunar calendar is really important. Or it can be really important. It can help unhook us, um, and again, witchcraft mysteries. Uh, but the, you know, the the it, this this just makes me think that like public time is an invention, right? It we we can trace when after the first world war and after the second world war, pocket watches were given, and we had to standardize time, right? We we uh, public time at least that it wasn't enough.
1: Trains were standard. Were- yes. Are, yes, are,
0: like because you're crossing time zones, all of a sudden you never did that before. Right, right, right. But the, the the you know the the early modern has plenty of clocks and watches that present a variety of lunar information on them. I mean, obviously, you still get you know moon face on some watches uh, uh, and some fancy watches. But this was like this was a stand. This wasn't a uh, this wasn't the alternative medicine of of timekeeping. This is like a standard feature, you know, that
1: these still the of time and the wheel of fortune were running along and then they were just like snag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there's something interesting, right? It. Like, it, it frustrates me even in the defining the quarters of the day, how uh, I have some wonderful elders who are still obsessed with the numbers six and 12 and six and 12 being like, no, it's the numbers. And I was like, but you understand the time itself in standardized units is a more modern thing. And yeah.
0: when six always meant sunrise and noon always meant the high point of the sun. That's not necessarily, that's, that's only going to happen at exactly 12 o'clock, like once in the year. Yeah, well, twice. but what, twi- yeah, twi- yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, two witnesses, Sal, two witnesses. Two witnesses, yes. No, of course. Good point. Well played. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm totally
1: going to start calling the morning Enoch and the afternoon Elijah. Oh, uh, that's pretty but sweet. Actually, in the book of Enoch, one of the wonderful things that's there is the sun is given different names based on, uh, the quality of, of of summer and winter, I believe, and uh, the moon in its phases has different names. And I remember one of the names of the sun is Thomas, but uh, I'm totally wrong on all of it. <laughs> pretty sure it's the Book of Enoch that does that. Sometimes we actually are flying off the cuff with our references. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, okay, so backtracking the the nature of time and flowing in that way that that the standardization and the kind of gift of and the the what we lost in the conversion to having regular minutes and seconds, yeah, which based upon the vibrationary rates of things, um, or similar to how the name of geometry itself is in measuring the Earth, right? That we predict yeah. the Earth is a certain size and we divide that into smaller segments. Even though it's wrong, we still I'm still in favor of everything going by meters and centimeters, just because it's it's the way that most people measure, despite the fact that I still think in feet and inches. Mm. Uh, because there is something about understanding to speak the language that people speak. If you want to communicate, you should be able to communicate in the in uh, a way that is understood by people. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand that the, it's very hard to convert some inches and feet and pounds and things like this, but there is something to be said about metric as a universal system. I'm not in favor of Esperanto, though. Uh, okay, so looking at Wheel of Fortune and weather magic, I this categorizing things into time in um. this way, I have been fascinated for years by a practice known as cabanuelas, which is uh, Iberian derived practice, which is uh, very popular still in, in parts of Spain, is considered kind of like um, uh, something poor farmers do in Spain, but it is hugely part of the folklore of the Americas and and the kind of almanac keeping that it is. I mean, the farmer's almanac does have a ton of accurate information as well. so let's not put all of the the traditions of almanacs as being just um, hokum that a lot of people put to them. Um, and certainly, um, uh,
0: Ben Franklin's Almanac is a totally different thing. But no, like certain crops grow at certain times of the year and have to be tended at certain times of the year. You
1: plant before this date in this area, but it's, it, almanacs have to be catered to the specific area, you know, things yeah. differently in different areas. And so like, you know- They were bioanimists before it was cool. Yeah, or bioregional specifically. And, and that side of it that like, you know, growing things in Southern California is a very different set of skills than growing things in the Pacific Northwest or growing things on the East Coast or growing things in the Great Lakes region or the very humid South or things like this. Right. Um, so uh, different practices are needed. But Gamanuelas is a practice where I wrote an article about it on my blog at Shot. but um, looking at using the calendar of the month of January as predictive weather for the rest of the year. And one of my favorite features of government us is, I mean, it goes forward in, in, in time, then goes back in time, then forward again for a few days, then backwards again for a few days. And then like on the last day, you go through all of the hours of the day as further markings of what's going to happen for the month. But it does give you an instant test of the accuracy of your, of your system because you now have the record of what happened in January to test it against. And you can start to see it. So people will go back and blame the interpretation of it based on you you lock, you you didn't observe it correctly mm. um, and so there's also this interesting question it raises in this particular form of weather prediction which is that the diviner has to know when in kairos to act right
0: yeah when is yeah it best yeah time? so so the, the division up between the um the periods is important right so the first 12 days of um uh, january are Attributed to, you know, the first day of January is it, or the second day of January is attributed to the weather that you see or the things that you'll see on the second day inform all of how uh, February, the second month, is going to be. Yes. Uh, it's, well, it, it's interesting that you're not necessarily um, measuring something else to work out the weather. You're using the weather to work out the quality of the, of the, of the month.
1: Where, where it starts to become interesting for me, um, first off, in the government, means Tabernacle, right? So it's the tents. Mm-hmm. Well, it is, it's, it's said to have all this lore which um, go check out my article so I don't have to repeat any of this right now or don't um, look it up on Wikipedia if you want but uh, the idea that uh, there is a way to approach this in variant traditions where it's not just about the weather that it's, that's observed but it might be the birds that you see or a prominent plant that suddenly grabs your attention mm-hmm. and this kind of combines and uh, takes lore into like the year walk of yes. Spavia or um, even uh, other versions that are popular around Spain and the Pyrenees of like taking predictive times of the first few days of the year to look into the year ahead. That that having um, that just the tip of the year <laughs> uh, gives you an, an illusion of what what the shaft is going to be.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. That, that that like standing at the doorway of the new year, you can you can you can see further than when you're into it. into the room.
1: Well, it's like the difference between saying what's the weather right now versus what's the weather going to be like today. And someone opens the window and looks. Well, mm-hmm. we don't know if it's going to be like that all day long. And maybe yeah. your house hasn't hit the storm that's on the other side of your house yet. Um, yeah. Maybe you're looking towards the beautiful Western sky and there's no storm there, but there's a storm coming from the East. Right. You know? And that's for divination in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's where we get into that, that point at which you were talking about, you know, it running backwards and then forwards again. So you have the first 12 days, which give you your outline of the, of the 12 months to come. And then it counts down again. Like, so, cause it, 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 it incorporates, the main tradition incorporates all of the days of January, right? Yes. yes. So you're, you're, you're going over it again and, and qualifying it with more layers.
1: Yes. So the first of the 12th is the cabones the So you're going forward um, from January to December from the 1st to the 12th. And then uh, Ratakulas goes, happens, and it goes from the 13th to the 24th backwards. So um, December gets two days in a row, effectively, and it goes back to January yeah. uh, by the time you get to the 24th. And then on the 25th through the 30th, um, the, there's different names for this, but like, um, I like calling them the Days of Solomon, but it, it's because it goes, uh, uh, it divides all the days there into smaller units that then predict
0: the whole Side of right. it. There. That's where you need the need the framework uh, to know where, when, and where to look. As you were saying,
1: yes, absolutely. Because it is you're dividing the days into half. So yeah. these 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 days are given in this way so that over the course of these uh, four days, you're going forward in 24 segments, and then uh, in 12 segments, and then backwards in 12 segments, hmm. uh, and then on the 31st, in the entire course of the day the hours uh, from from midnight to noon are representative of January through December and then it goes back from December to January again it's it's wonderfully and annoyingly and befuddlingly overly complex mm-hmm. but there's something beautiful and it's like this is the system like the sistema de is de las is this is is this like it's almost an alchemical principle right of like Divide everything apart and then reconstitute and it's going to be better. And, and, then, and
0: uh, at the end of this long, complicated process, you will have a very nuanced truth.
1: Yeah. And for me, it is far more interesting to treat this as a magical possibility and to understand significant days in your year ahead so that if you have a significant event happen to you on, on, on January 11th, that that really pay attention to the other omens for November in the month of January Right. Um, so that maybe you can see if November something you should be planning, like like let's say you have a good um, rendezvous uh, on January the 11th. Well, mm. maybe November is a good love month for you. Like this is right. this, it could be one of those things. So there's there's if we take it and and take it out of just the weather magic side of it, where weather starts to become a larger term, not just for the temporal phenomena of, mm-hmm. uh, of rain and shine, but for you know what even we sometimes refer to astrology as space weather. Yeah, uh, but that the the weather in your own life, which brings up other. Questions I was curious about because weather magic is a huge one, and I know you were like, "That's too big." I was like, "We can talk about weather magic another time, even more." Mm-hmm. Uh, but the notion that you don't do geomancy, for instance, when it's storming out, mm. um, is fascinating to me. Um, the, 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 the the weather reflects this. this the the um, the mood of the anima mundi, of the spiritus mundi. There,
0: uh, yeah. And, and just as and, and and you know, the accounts I've read are, are pretty much explicitly. Uh, Emotional, logical, like they're, you know, the 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 perturbations of the soul and the affections of the mind uh, are talked about as storms. They're talked about as as like internal weather. And just as you don't read when you are in a uh, a state of um, being, you know, so furious you can you, you're shaking. Like so, you don't read when the when the world is 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 have is, is is stormy. So it, I think it's a, I think it's emblematic. Uh, I don't, I, uh, which is not, which is to say, I don't think it's just quote symbolic. Uh, I think it's 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 real because it's emblematic of the, of the thing itself as well. Like it is stormy weather; it's hard for spirits to move through that medium to help provide you with uh, useful and accurate data. And it's part of a wider set of of principles where an awful lot of uh, traditions of geomancy say not every chart is equal. You know, we talked about radicality before. That there are traditions where, if the chart doesn't have certain markers, for instance, you know, reading if the if the first figure in the chart doesn't describe the correspondences of physical um, appearance, if that doesn't correspond to what the querent looks like, then you then that chart isn't useful. Uh, There are ways of deter like just because you flip a card doesn't mean that that card is is giving you useful information. There are other factors to bear in mind, right? Uh, bring
1: up an interesting side of a lot of the, the things that are easy to bump heads against in, in interpretation of this in, in, a, in, a, in a public context, in the sense that um, there are many people who are approaching this type of work, whether we call it, want to call it magic or spirituality, um, that are not invested in the belief of it as something parallel to their belief in uh, scientific determined things, meaning there's a, a, a small investment of belief, but not a an actual conversion into the thing. Right. So there's there's it's easier to dismiss the fact that you shouldn't do geomancy when it's storming out, despite that being the recommendation for a couple thousand years mm. of, of documented form, even in divination in general. Um, but also, I mean, the practical side that if you're doing sand divination outside, it's, you really don't want to do divination in the middle of a lightning storm. Right. Uh, but the side of it that it's easier to just like, well, that shouldn't matter because things move. But it's funny the, how both sides of my head kick in when you say like, well, spirits have a different difficult time moving through storms. Well, except for storm spirits, maybe. Um, right. But the idea here, they're like, well, that shouldn't affect what I'm doing because that mind is beyond the material. You're like this separation, the Cartesian split, the, 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 the split between spirit and matter yeah. is, is, has suffered more in the scientific uh,
0: wake Well, precisely with geomancy as well, you know, and this is one of my bugbears about I don't think it has to rely on this Neoplatonic idealism of appealing to an Empyrean perfect realm from which, you know, the fruit of the stars might fall. Uh, in which case, yeah, I could argue that just because it's storming on Earth doesn't mean that like in the fifth heaven you can't still, you know, contact, you know, righteous and well informed martial spirits, right? Uh, but we're not doing that with Geomancy, I would argue. We're, we're working with the, the, the bodies of wicked angels that fell to the earth and formed the chaos on which we, we live. Like We're in the, the sublunary realm, and so it does matter if it's storming in the sublunary realm.
1: Which of course is leads credence to I mean we've talked about sublunary, I think even on the last episode, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's nice when we these get out right away so that I can remember when we talked about something sub- <laughs> right <laughs> the, the, the notion of sublunar spirits being the reason that the moon is such an important gateway to everything else mm-hmm. we by the moon card that's right. So even here, the, the concept of, of paying attention to the lunar calendar, as you just said, mm-hmm. is a high recommendation by many workers, or at least just to I think it's good to explore the fact that to break yourself from the, the chains of the calendar you're used to 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 question those things. But I like this then to extend past this to understand the the natural parallels between the storm of the mind and the storm of the of of your local your locale. Yeah. And even to understand that on the parallel, that just because it's storming in your area doesn't mean it's storming everywhere else. It's yeah. it's one of those things we have to combat in in our own journeys as magicians and as humans, um, to understand that just because you ate a sandwich today doesn't mean that, that other people aren't hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, uh, this, 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 shouldn't we, we can go into ties of privilege there and what it is, but.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I uh, think it's a really useful use that, it, it, you know, it obviously it gets put on a lot of bumper stickers and placards these days, but that uh, definition or that description of privilege as um, thinking that just because it doesn't affect you personally, it isn't important is like, is a really good, like, rule of thumb. And I think it's interesting to bring in the role of diviner there where you're
1: trying to find out what's affecting another person outside of yourself which yeah. means that you have to be naturally a student of shifting your vantage so that the advice you give is what's best for them, not, what, not what's best for you in that situation.
0: Right, 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 which right, is, right. Which is a valuable
1: thing because it's, it is definitely an amateur diviner. I don't mean this as a criticism. When you're first starting out, your natural tendency is to give advice or interpret things based on what you think is best for if you were personalizing that situation. Yep. And a help diviner has to learn to depersonalize the situation. Because yeah. you are not going through that, but you still and in, in, in our context of many different nations systems, you, you're going to have to clean yourself off of that person's context too. Afterward, right. So right. don't continue to wear their situation as your own. Yeah. You yeah. Just enough peeking in out the window to see that the storm is there mm-hmm. and be like, perhaps don't point the metal rods at the sky today. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but then, you know, you go out your side of the house and you know, you're nice and clear. You don't need to, you know, you can point the metal rods at the sky today. That's a different thing. Not everything applies all the
0: time. Yeah and that's also the strength of good like well informed and responsible divination providing a bespoke map uh yep. and 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 where you know uh that's where it is important that you don't just go off your sun sign that you like have the whole chart available right if we're going to take an astrological like uh nativity example uh that that yeah that you are that it isn't a one size fits all model that and that it isn't a something you can just learn from a table of correspondences. It has to be about the interplay of those, um, of those moving pieces.
1: So what's interesting in that, too, for me is, uh, okay, so if we have, because um, we're talking about a window, and I'm going to go back and forth between these two topics now because I think it's fun to talk about them at the same time, because <laughs> uh, why the fuck not? Um, the idea that the window itself, as carker that the, that the boundaries about which we place the, the situation or the eye of the diviner, is in the framing tied to yes. Karkur and even Oddi um, as as an Odu. Uh, so the 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 fortification, the thing that we're sitting on our Iddi, our butt. Um, mm-hmm. the, our immediate co in the world is a unique perspective. And that this shifting of the eye of Sauron to find out what we need to do to see what an individual's weather is, both in their head and their immediate vicinity. Because when you do weather magic, you're not calling for the whole world to rain, but you're calling for your whole world to rain. Right. And like, there's this thing of that. And this idea that if you can work yourself up into a state, that if you are so desperate, even if we go into the corner the, the, the horribly reduced ideas of what a rain dance is, mm. that you're exciting your body and exciting the molecules so much that it affects the world around you. I look at um, Danza Azteca and, and uh, the Matachines and this idea that um, to wear the seed pods of the Chachayotes and to shake the earth so that the worlds above and below you shake so that all the gods are awoken to your prayer. You are mm. doing kinetic prayer, and then guiding it through your motions in sympathetic ways to stir certain energies within yeah. that. So it's this pounding that you see in that Azteca is ta- is literally trying to shake the earth to raise things, to topple trees in the other worlds, so that you can get your prayers across. And that that side of it is nothing but that's 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 an electricity that you are now transmitting in what we would, in a larger context, especially our ancient uh, side, would consider weather. Um, the right. time and weather here are. Are, there's time space and there's weather space and that if I am in desperate need of moisture uh, because we are running dry to sacrifice some of the moisture that I have or if you, you know, buy this, it's sometimes it can, a cloth that can be wet by um, sexual wetness or by some of the, the, the water that you do have uh, or even milk and going out to the stones and slapping them so that the sounds of the wetness hits it or a mm. room that never, that, that never um, has touched ground and going and putting it into uh, a river and sprinkling it up in the air so that the thing that it, it is now showing the, the waters what they're supposed to do, that all waters by their nature are connected, which is a, a primary thing, right? In at least on the OD side, when we're talking about one drop that resonates with the vibration of all water, that it's not just in for a penny, in for a pound, but that you don't need 40 pounds of the thing to be the thing magically. Right. Uh, we love to be like, oh, this thing calls for... Partridge feathers, I want forty thousand partridge feathers. You know, one piece of a partridge feather could be enough. right you know, How do you fit ten thousand ingredients in a thimble and 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 that side of it moving it forward, I think there's an interesting side of it to shift that eye of Sauron uh um, hmm. OD thing, which is also the grave and OD, which I think we talked about in our Mary of Egypt episode, yeah, uh, but talking about the, the
0: the the focus that is necessary yeah, the f- the framing device, right. Uh, yeah, I think that's really important that we have to have a a even if it's just a scaffold to be like hey, it's more complicated than that. this is a model for understanding the thing. It's still enclosing what is in the model and what isn't in the model, right. Um, I think Carker in this context can be understood by the the dual um, meanings of apprehension in English at least uh, around on the one hand, yes, it's Carker, it's incarcerating, it's it's prison, it's mm. uh, it's apprehending, it's it's grabbing, it's arresting. Um, but it's also understanding uh, by its focus that the that the circle of it is a is a crucible, is a is a magic circle, is a uh, is the cell of a plant as much as a prison cell or a uh, a place of uh, of separation. And and it's it's in, in, in that level, it's also got a lot to say about analysis, right? To to take apart, right? Um, that we are separating to understand the component pieces. So it's the it's, it's they want to conjunctio's uh, coagula.
1: There's going to be an element of luck in, in Odi, which is just expressed in one of the primary proverbs, which is the, it takes more than luck to catch the biggest fish. You have to have the right hook and bait. Mm-hmm. That, that luck is needed. It's yeah. not that, it won't, that luck won't do it for you. You, luck, you have to be in the right time, in the right place for opportunity to strike. But you have to be prepared. Which uh, you know, we've. I one of my favorite quotes because I need to hear it all the time. That inspiration <laughs> will come, but it has to find you working. Right it is an interesting side of this. So sometimes Carker and Odie have this. Um, the unfortunately focus can also be myopic focus.
0: Yeah, and yeah.
1: Considering the larger picture, that you know we both need to focus, as you said, and uh, understand that the focus can shift, and it's good to keep that that warrior energy of scanning the horizon for things so that you understand the, the various onion layers of mm. the prisons you're putting yourself in, the things you're binding yourself to in the interpretations or, or what have you. So yeah. uh, this notion that not only, it's, it's almost like um, it, it, it comes down many times because Oddi Karkar is such a great example of what flows in the world and the way the world works mm. uh, to me. And especially with Oddi because everything is contained in odi in a very strange way because it is the earth sign. Uh, in that way, um, it is uh, the, the the digging of the earth, um, not for necessarily for uh, productivity and crops the way that we would find in Ejioko, but uh, the grave that 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 buries the thing at the end. It's also tied into the ear as the grave in which gossip goes into hmm. um, uh, your the the contact with the earth itself that is edi, the homophonic thing of the butt. Um, it's tied into concepts of the wall and the fort that you build around something. Yeah. Um, keeps you safe but then can also be a prison uh,
0: right, right, right 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 uh, right solitude can be can be the wonderful writing retreat but it can also just be you know going sterilely mad uh in in isolation
1: yeah and context here becomes everything because you know a cat in a pillowcase is you know not necessarily a good thing unless you need to take that cat to the vet and you're not sure how you don't have a ca- you know what are you trying to do with the pillowcase and the cat
0: right 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 why is
1: it being contained yeah, yeah. I don't know why cat was the first thing. that Because cats in a pillowcase is a scary thing in general. Like, I don't want to open the bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cat's at the back. Right. Uh, mm. So I'm curious what this thing is, even like with this shift between divination, weather magic of which there's so much. Like, I like the, um, we mentioned in the intro, but one of my, favorite things for um, the theories of why there's jaguar babies in the Olmec civilization, which is an ancient Mexican civilization, Central Valley, and they're kind of the master culture with which the Mayans pulled a lot of inf- of their uh, ritual and style of things from and even Teotihuacan develops from this. So the, the Olmecs are ancient um, right. and they're dealing with carving these hominid figures that are taking on jaguar figures. So it's they're often referred to as wear jaguars hmm. and oftentimes as infants, um, crying babies, crying fat babies, um, or babies that take on jaguar appearances. Mm-hmm. And one of the, there's, I remember um, uh, one of my anthropology teachers in college was talking about observing the, not her, but reading accounts of observing local people going up to stones and slapping them with wet rags, which has parallels in European lore as well as how to make things rain. Mm-hmm. Um, slapping the rocks so that you hear the sound of the wetness. But right. if you go up and you slap a uh, a baby that is believed to be a child of the jaguar that's in the sky you're hurting the baby and it makes the jaguar, the baby cries out and the jaguar in the sky answers with thunder and rain mm. that you're torturing the little jaguar here mm. to, to bring rain to come, which is, a, is I I love that parallel to it. It's extremely like witchcraft, trad witchcraft mentality where like torturing the gods themselves is part and parcel for magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and certainly a different thing because I think, um, Sorcery is a broad term and and ceremony magic has a lot of, of connotation. Um, it has a, a PR issue, um, mm. much like witchcraft does in general. But uh, I think that um, the notion of torturing demons is a very different thing because this is allowed because mm. we, we know that demons are bad and deserve to be punished as opposed to Aradia holding, you know, torturing Diana and telling her that Diana will have no rest unless mm. this happens, which is curiously a basis for later. Like, oh, well, that was the context of the time, but this is a prominent technique of of magic around the world is is holding the gods the spirits saints captive to do your bidding and Mm -hmm. and they won't be released from it until you get what you want so i I think there's the side of it too that like submerging certain saints in water or appealing to sawa which is um san juan in mexico Mm uh uh uh, saint john the baptist who lives in the gulf of mexico and sawa is directly um an inheritance of tlaloc and chak worship. Hmm. So um, because if if we look at Jesus as the new war god, so if we look at the Aztec parallels of Huitzilopochtli and Tlaloc being the two gods that were served on top of the temple. Tlaloc is a native god because you can't get rid of agriculture gods. People need mm. to eat. Now the war god Huitzilopochtli is is a syncretic version incorporating many aspects of Central Valley Mex mythology, but Huitzilopochtli was the god of the Aztecs carried with them from North America. Mm. So that's who they carried like Ark of the Covenant style down through their their years of four hundred years of wandering as Chichimex. but the idea that you have Jesus as the replacement, the sword tongue Jesus, the con- the conquistador God, is obviously more powerful than the war god because something happened. The war god got demolished, and the value center. This is not this is not me personally interpreting. This is this is a large amount of um, uh, anthropologists and magical anthropological hybrid like looking at these value centers that shift, um, which is. Um, Value centers is radical monotheism in Western society, forgot the author, but that was his term, uh, philosophical understanding of what a culture needs and how uh, it expresses those needs through its religion. And if a religion is going to go in and change um, uh, the structure or the name by which something is called, it has to answer to the value centers that that culture has. Yes. Fishing communities must have fishing deities. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the understanding that Dlalok and which I think are curiously our next episode is actually about uh, St. John the Baptist. That's our next scheduled one. Um, Dope. But to understand the the parallels there, which we'll get into then about Jesus, the nativity of Jesus being December 25th and the nativity of John the Baptist, which is one of the few saints that we celebrate the nativity of, June 24th. So, because it has to be six months apart because Mary went to go visit her cousin, who was pregnant, pregnant with John the Baptist, before she was giving birth. So the 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 preceder of the following, he and uh, John the Baptist announces the following Christmas and blah blah blah. I'll say yeah. some of that next time. Um, but San Juan is uh, San Juan, uh, which also uh, this is how my brain works. Don Juan, who I meant to bring up earlier, Don Juan, the, the legendary you know ladies man, his mm-hmm. ring was garnet. It was a big thing that garnet is associated with the wooing of women uh, mm. and so uh, seductiveness. Of that and that's because it grants victory right so it's seduction as its own form of war azazo uh, but that someone Juan is also a weather this weather magic of imploring and knowing what it is to to go and uh, sprinkle water on the roof of your house to show the house spirits that like this is what we need or or the opposite
0: <laughs> which is what which is what we see in the um, in the weather magic uh, contained in um, a bunch of books of secrets but but uh, m- most specifically recently the uh, Calicul Salamis de secretus which um, jHp published as the the secrets of Solomon I think um, three weather spells to cause rain uh snow and lightning respectively and uh, they they they're exactly that they're um the seals of uh, a wind spirit or and, and a spirit of tempests as well a storm spirit and a uh, spirit of water uh their seals go in a circle which is atop the 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 altar top. So, you are producing a circle, which is the container in which the work is done, right? Uh, which also represents everywhere that is affected by it, i.e., the, the circle is, is the world. But yeah, you, you're generally taking um, salt water and, uh, and sprinkling it to make it rain. Like it's the, the, the combination of uh, a set of spirit seals, uh, certain activating um, calls to them, and sympathetic material. Uh, and that seems to be the the kind of working style that um that seems consistent in uh the book of secrets that's appended to uh, that particular version of the um of the key, uh, the, the the um the secretus of the secrets of solomon
1: you know it's you 're talking about this conjuration of lightning and 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 snow and rain in this way um it makes me think about you know Karger obviously being parallel to the vegetus. um to the, the Mesca Pisces uh, of this this portal that is not the Shekhinah ripped open across the, the world that we would put with like populace, right? Where everything becomes equalized, yeah. um, but that it is still pinched at the top and the bottom. So it's still maintaining a structure, but allowing things through, which yeah. is great for this divination metaphor. But also I like this idea of, um, uh, you know, again, what the eye is focused on and even the kind of letting out of the untying of the knots of on a witch's ladder where the witches have stored the wind mm. in a cord where a knot ties a storm. So going out and preserving a storm in a knot and then letting it loose just a little bit. So it's an interesting thing of like it's. O D here is kind of serving a blackthorn purpose where it is both a container and the the opening um, for that thing to come through because I can see the knot being the the boundary around which you place the wind. Yeah. But still, there's a very conjunctio. Kind of, it's it's physical opposite here of like tying something together is 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 very tied to that nature. Yeah, yeah, it's it's
0: binding, right? Um, uh, which is different to combining, right? Uh, conjunctio is the is the coming together of things, and 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 the, and the combination of them to produce something new. The actual blending and mixing of things, you know, I, th- I think it kind of rules all combinations of things, all chimeras, all all, all Frankenstein's, also all like you know, great uh, complementary things. Uh, whereas, whereas carter is about the binding of things together, the forcing of them, which is yeah, so so a lot more about like leashing, uh, binding, um, tying, uh, making, uh, sewing things together rather than sewing something new from two things. I also think it's really interestingly tied to cycles in terms of the uh, the wheel of fortune, right? Because it's 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 you can you can see it as the combination of Laticia and Tristicia, right? You can see it as the 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 dizzying heights of uh, of that arc of uh, of delight and the crushing crunchy lows of of uh, of of a, of a, of a, of a, of a uh, you know a downswing and a depression and um and the, and both of the um configurations depending on, all, all three of the configurations you could maybe say that form uh, those three figures right tristicia leticia and karka all speak to a certain extent of um things that look a lot like a kind of, um, being locked in a cycle of kind of, um, a bipolar reactionism, uh, if we want to put it like that. And that even the one that ends in Laetitia. So even if it's moving from sorrow into joy is still like, but you're still repeating cycles. You're still repeating a pattern, um, that isn't, that isn't necessarily helpful. Even if it looks like it's moving towards, uh, joy and uplifting, uh, it, unless that joy is is stabilized in some way, it's going to be only the momentary moment of of uh, of delight that is remarkable because it's the belief, the brief glimmer of something shining in an otherwise sea of crushing darkness. No,
1: uh, I mean, then you've then you've described Karkar as samsara itself because my normal view of of. Carker or the the just the graphic representation is moving between via and um, Populous, or ogbe and noyakun says that it's 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 the thing and then connuncio is the backwards collapse of those things so like a you know a peeking through and that expands until if everything is ripped and then it comes back together and uh, in, in in very big bang big big collapse um, big crunch that's what it's called yeah. Cl- yeah, yeah 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 big crunch yeah the collapse is a blue easy. shift yeah so mm-hmm. there's something interesting in that for me of the the nature of that. And it also brings up the idea around the Wheel of Fortune that we often see the wheel as rotating, but instead it might be us that's just ro- walking around the outside of it, not kind mm-hmm. of finally being like, am I going up? Am I going down? I'm not sure which way I'm going. So yep. like, talk about the Wheel of Fortune spinning, but maybe it's like the Earth where it's spinning, but we're also completely in control of like which way we're going on it. It seems stationary to us. Right. Uh, which is an interesting just vantage
0: point on that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about the idea of it being a, a tunnel view as well. Uh, and the tunnel's under the earth, and that which like allows uh us to move through them uh that that like a good propped up mine is uh like the the strength of a gothic arch right mm-hmm. is is in is in the very gravity that 's trying to pull it down right that's what makes it more stable um oh, you
1: just went into some beautiful Christian
0: mysticism there right uh and, and again that that this is a this is a tunnel, and that we may be looking at a tunnel in Carca, yeah. Um, both to both that can get us through otherwise impenetrable um, darkness and help us navigate it and understand it and and defend from from that which emerges from it uh, but also uh, has the potential to to bury us and uh, entomb us
1: i mean I, I I'm really attracted to this idea of Carker being the witch's knot then in the witch's ladder um as far as like the thing that contains the wind because what is often put, not just, we do read things of like handing a knotted rope to Mm -hmm. the Scottish witches and Cornish witches both being reputed for like helping control the wind in this way. Mm -hmm. But the idea of a witch's ladder also containing feathers in those knots, which is interesting because there's a a thing of there of like putting something sympathetic to the thing you're containing in the knot Mm -hmm. in the knot so that it has something to act upon, which is the feather itself. It's still allowing the feather to float even though we bound it. And then when we unloose it, then it can finally unleash because we're giving it something to um, cut its tooth on, uh, yeah. prison did, um, yeah. interesting side of it. Uh, this, of- this,
0: notion of using the prison, right? The the yeah. that, this notion of using the prison, this, this idea of, um, of Karka is not just expressing, oh, there will be, uh, you know, you will be, uh, isolated or you will, or, or there will be delays, which is the other classic divinatory meaning of it. it doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it can't happen and is, is, uh, is entombed away from you or is, um, Incarcerated away from you, it could just mean uh, delays uh, and things of that nature. But that the that you that you can use it to lay a trap as well. That you that you use it to bind. Um, and this again is 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 emergent from a lot of the the work that that Peter and I have been doing around what we've been calling the form and the substance of a of a geomantic working, um, which we talked about a bit last week. I think or last time I think as well. But this notion of just as conjunctio can be um, the just as there's what you're doing with your working, we're trying to, I don't know, um, get, uh, you know, attract a new job or, or win the lottery or whatever it is, come into money. But then there's how you do it as well. Does it need to be done quickly? Uh, can it be done over a long period of time? Um, does it need to be done in specific ways or periods? And so, uh, just as conjunctio becomes the means, the the the, the form of the work um, to make it land, to produce those connections, to bridge the. Uh, the act of me sprinkling water on this um, chalked circle on the top of my altar to it raining—that's um, that's that's a, that's a conjunctive thing. The karka thing is 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 uh, as as the substance. karka is what makes spells last, as opposed to what makes them land. It seems, and how to imbue something, and to and also to leave open traps for things to fly into. So you're into like some of the me- some of the traditional uses of magical or even explicitly called demon bowls. Right of 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 a thing there that that uh, that that uh, is laid as a as a noose or as a as a, bear, as a as a bear trap or something that like it it keeps that thing there then. So you would almost say that I'm putting words in your mouth like
1: like one would do after a lecture that you hear. What is so it? wouldn't I say yeah? Yes. That's um, a question, more a comment. Yeah. I might almost say mm-hmm. because I'm proposing it uh, that Carker becomes. A Pancratius, the one that holds everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Touche. Yeah. Um, Hats off. Yeah. Thanks for that lovely revelation there. Um, uh, Too bad he's just a 14 year old boy soldier saint, not like, you know, the, you know, uh, something, some other visual for that. But there's something interesting to that, that the all possibilities, which reflects its universality as an Odu, of course, because this is such a prominent. many, many possibilities in Odi. Um,
0: right. And they're, and they're all wombs of possibility, but Odi, from what I gather, is especially associated with, with the literal room, womb and also um, the, the matrix that allows the growth of something.
1: And yeah, just the
0: Earth itself as a
1: nurturing mm-hmm. and a destructive force mm-hmm. is all contained there. Um, I will challenge you to, because I do like the, the practical moments of geomancy, because um, I can't really talk practical Odi as much openly, um, mm-hmm. What is the difference between um, conjunctio carker versus carker conjunctio?
0: They both deal with contracts. Uh, There is a coming right. So, so conjunctio carker, uh, there is a coming together, a union, a meeting, um, which produces an alliance of some kind, and then that alliance is secured by being locked down in some way. Um, So it speaks of contract. The other is uh, uh, coming together. Uh, so i i see um caca conjunctio as more of uh the mixing that happens after you've been forced together so maybe gosh i don't know uh this this speaks of the the syncretism under the the pressure cooker of um, particular economic circumstances uh or the uh, the wielding or the exclusion or the marginalization of uh, the, the wielding of power and the marginalization of of the disempowered it's it's also what can emerge from firm boundaries that it, it's, it's a creative endeavor as well. It's the, um, it's the rules you set yourself, um, to, to, to write something in response to, uh, to blank page stage fright. Right. It's, it's the, it's the discipline that brings things together, uh, that, that the, um, uh, it's the practice that allows you to seize the opportunity. Uh, that's also obviously very tied to a fortuna minor as well of like the passing, like good luck, I, but but especially contracts. Um, I think of like the combination of that which we agree to do together, but also that which binds us to each other. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, the, the concept of binding is so interesting there. Right, um, Nancy. Honestly, I as much as we could continue talking. About it, I feel like we've 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 talked a lot of things broadly and excitedly, and um, I love leaving the possibility for future conversations because like revisiting Karkar Odie today was great. Mm. The possibility of where Wheel of Fortune falls next is great. Um, who knows what topics will change in the future, but I'd say let's stick a two-pronged fork in this baby. Um, For realsies, yeah. Bebe. Um, <laughs> this jaguar baby. If, yes, in this jaguar baby, uh, <laughs> We're talking witchcraft. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I, I guess one of the last things, I don't know if it was said, you know, the reason that I went to Azazel so quickly was because uh, a, a lovely preliminary research uh of Saint Pancras is that his name in the Syriac traditions is More Azazel, yeah. uh, or Mar Izazuel, um, which if anybody wants to disclose more about that, because it was not easy to disc- to find more information on that. So mm. if you want to, um, I'm not proposing there's an instant connection between Azazel and uh, Saint Pancras, but I would love to know more about what that, why that parallel name is. Oh, so for sure, yeah. Best out there. Um, also, Al, I will put it out there again that we need to focus on on Christian geomancy. For our, on those lovely witnesses. With uh, the witnesses of the public going, when is that coming out? That coming out? <laughs> uh, Margaret Atwood. Margaret. Uh, Al shared this meme that was because someone else uh, posted it, right? Writing is, yes. is making you do this. You chose it, so don't whine. Like, I'll whine about what I goddamn want. Yeah, okay. <laughs> It's part of my process, Margaret. Yeah, exactly. Don't question my process, yeah just you know, <laughs> inspiration will come but it has to find me whining Yeah, so,
0: <laughs> so oh, glorious uh, we gotta hope so uh, yeah.
1: a happy feast of the ice saints to you all uh, may your blackberries and black and your and your slows be sweetened by the cold weather of our icy hearts these days
0: uh, yeah 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 may, may your isolation and and quarantine be protective uh, and not uh, restrictive, or, or yeah, we didn't even talk about that part of Carker, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, it's come up a lot in readings, uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe that which uh, protects and allows you to baste in, uh, in 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 the in the juices that you would like to baste in, or well, the juices that you that are the
1: outcomes of your actions that you have to then tem- you have to temporarily experience, yeah, because of it too. That that side of Azazel and and making the bed that he has to lie in, lying in the right. Bed um, right. Our actions making us be bound in the carker of his mouth and yeah. it by him. You know, may a goat demon lick you if that is what you decide. <laughs> um, um, may, may a giant hairy city come and smack you on the butt in playful flirtation. If that's what you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you don't know, it's what you want, but you find out later, may it happen.
0: Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. May the garnet shine and teach you, uh, uh, of those things. Lead you through the,
1: the, the waters of our, um, uh, pretentiousness uh, mm-hmm. back. <laughs> uh, may weather the storm uh, yep. Dama Fortuna uh, smile upon us all in sequence because she can't smile upon us all at once and uh, may, may we each become a Metatron for the highest part of ourselves and um, uh, see some growth there so that uh, Enoch can witness our own becoming that's
0: wonderful I like that very much
1: always leave a, a, a seat for Elijah on. Uh, I also am curious if these series of podcasts will be called the Hagiographic Blur Days.
0: <laughs> Blur's Day. Yeah, Hagiographic Blur's Day. Um, yeah, oh, I little,
1: love that. Almost like, um, you know, if St. Pancras is St. Pancreas, that like, perhaps Blur's Day is what I'm going to call Thursday from now on in a very clockwork, <gasps> orange type of universe. And we have a
0: St. Blur's Day like there's a St. Monday? i mean it makes sense right you know the 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 fake feast of saint monday being what um people would say when they when they drunk too much and didn't want to go to work how dare you call me into work on on this the of all feast days of the feast day of saint monday this is yeah uh 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 uh, a saint shaped hole attracts uh, a thing that wears a a saint hat
1: (laughs) Hmm. if you pierce it she will come yes I don't know why I genderized it there, uh, because it's often genderized the other way. Mm. <coughs> mm. But the 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 thread will follow with the needle pierces. Right. Uh, so may the first tailor and the first cosmetist and the first blacksmith um, uh, bring us all to uh, highly pierced, highly cosmeticized. Uh, well, yeah. May may else. your eyeshadow slay. Yes. So thank you so much for uh, <laughs> bearing with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, And uh, may all your gravestones circle around the tree of your choice. Thanks for joining us, everyone.
0: This is, uh, as always, a delight. And thank you to you, Jesse, as well.
1: Oh, thanks, Al.